0: Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. This is episode number 33, featuring the internationally known educator and expert on understanding men, women, and relationships, and the best-selling author of The Queen's Code, Alison Armstrong.
1: This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise— To heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the renaissance of men. You are the renaissance.
2: So this is the thing you got to know. There is an automatic worth it equation being calculated by a man now, now, now. Every opportunity, every moment, there's a calculation. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth what? Is it worth his time? Is it worth his energy? Is it worth his resources? Is it worth his attention? Is it worth it? It's got to be worth it, worth it, worth it. Why? Because if you keep doing things that don't give you back more than you gave it, that's how you die. Can you see it? It's an instinct. Worth it is an instinct. If you spend 5,000 calories hunting, a 500 calorie bunny rabbit and you catch it, is that a big victory? No, you're 4,500 calories in the hole. It's got to be worth it. It's got to at least give you back what you gave it as a very, very minimum. And that's usually not even worth doing because you could have spent that energy getting back more. So it's all about energy. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? If I waste my time, I'm going to die. If I waste my energy, I'm going to die. Can you see it? So I'm going to tell you something that drives women crazy. And for those of you who've read Making Sense of Men, this will illuminate the other side of it. When a man says, I don't care, It doesn't mean he's too stupid to know he should care. It doesn't mean he's too lazy to care. It means he has assessed that the amount of energy it takes to care is too much energy. He has decided that's too costly to care about. I'm unwilling to care about it. Because caring is actually an expenditure of energy. So when a man says, I care about you, he's telling you he's expending his own energy on you. He's spending his energy on you, precious energy. He cares about you. That emotion of caring costs him something. They do it very carefully, and sometimes it's really bad news. I know a woman whose boyfriend keeps saying, ah, I can't believe I care this much about you. I wasn't planning on caring this much about you. Ah, the moment I saw you, I thought, oh, no, she's someone I could fall in love with. He wasn't excited about it. He's like, ah, he knew how much energy it was going to (laughs) take. Oh no, I could fall in love with her. Oh shit. (laughs) Yeah. So it's gotta be worth it. They're constantly calculating the worth it equation. Is this worth it? Everything that men do for you or don't do for you is gonna have to do with this. We suck at having things be understood as worth it. We suck at it. We don't take the time to have men understand why something's worth doing, because to us it's obvious why it should be done. So we don't ever bother to let them know what makes it worth it. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. Are your lives flashing before your eyes? (laughs) who's, Who's seeing the source of difficulties. Yeah. You got to pay attention to the worth it equation and the amazing development of men, the stages of development, what stage a man is in determines what's the centerpiece of it being worth it. So as a man goes through a different stage, this, the biggest thing that makes something worth it changes. So it what makes them a bit of a moving target What was worth it to them five years ago is not worth it to them anymore. And we miss the signs, and we're still trying to interact with them as if they're the same guy. This is the source of a lot of divorces, by the way. What's worth it to a man in his 30s and 40s is completely different than what's worth it to a man in his 50s and 60s. And we don't adapt because we don't even know there's something to adapt to.
0: Now, I know what you're probably thinking. The Renaissance of Men is a podcast about men and masculinity. Why is Will interviewing a woman? While Allison and her work speaks for itself, as you just heard and as I hope you'll see, I'd like to provide my answer to that question. That it even has to be addressed is a sign of just how bad things are between men and women today and just how completely trust between the sexes has been shattered. Men risk paying a steep price in the public sphere to even make benign observations about women. Including compliments. And the notion that a woman today could have anything to say about men that doesn't amount to default, disrespect, or shaming, I'll be honest and say sometimes that sounds like a stretch, even to me. But I'd like to read you a line from Allison's book, The Queen's Code, which we'll discuss in a moment. The sentence is just seven words, and each word is just one syllable long. But I think the line has such radical and revolutionary potential that I'm betting you've never heard its ideas expressed. Until I read it, I never had anywhere. Are you ready? Here it is. Quote, To know men is to love them. Let that line sink in. There is a woman who has spent 30 years studying men, and over that time has come to appreciate and love them, love us, even more for what we are. She's devoted her life to helping explain men to women with the goal of improving human relationships so we can begin building heaven on earth. And that woman's name is Alison Armstrong. If you've listened to my podcast, or if you follow me on Instagram, you know I often talk about something I call the Great Reconciliation. The Great Reconciliation is a singular historical process that marks the coming together of men and women in a space of mutual respect, understanding, and appreciation, as we choose to heal this most fundamental divide for the first time. Because men and women are meant for each other, we long for each other, and this battle between the sexes, which is truly now a war, must come to an end in a process of mutual disarmament. The tricky part is that the disarmament must come from a position of mutual strength. One side cannot coerce the other into surrender, because as we all know, men in the fullness of our masculine strength nurture women, and women in the fullness of their feminine strength nurture us as men so we can only move forward by rising together, by lifting each other, which is why the renaissance of men leads to the renaissance of women, and why together they lead to the great reconciliation. I do not know of a war in history where both sides agree to end hostilities from a position of mutual strength, where the soldiers threw down their arms and asked, What are we doing? Even the famous Christmas truce of 1914, where German and British troops along the front lines of World War I Shook hands and sang Christmas carols in an unofficial ceasefire, only lasted for a single day. We, as men and women, must make our peace last much longer. No ceasefires, treaties, or truces, which are by definition temporary, only reconciliation. What might that look like? We humans are funny creatures. It's far outside of the scope of this podcast to explore this idea more fully, but let's just say we speak our reality into existence. To speak it, we must be able to imagine it. And how are we to imagine something that's never been before? A full reconciliation between men and women? The ending of a war with actual love? Who has time to imagine such a thing when burdened with the cares of daily existence? Now here's the good part. You don't have to. Someone's done it for you, in a book called The Queen's Code. I will be naked in my agenda now. It is my goal that by the end of this podcast, Everyone listening will have clicked on the link in the description and bought a copy of Allison's book, and maybe even two, including one for a friend. You can buy it in print and Kindle, and the audiobook is coming soon. And no, it won't be an affiliate link. The Queen's Code paints a picture of what reconciliation might look like, not in some grand vision, but in the homes and everyday lives of eight characters, men and women of different ages, and even children, learning to find their way forward together. It is a book of wonders, full of sincere appreciation and honoring of men. Here, I'll read a couple more passages. Quote, Women have been acculturated to believe that they should be their own heroes. Women's television delivers this message over and over again with movies in which, at most, one good man might provide some small assistance as the heroine rescues herself. and quote. By competing with men, proving which of us can be the better provider, We interrupt their desire to provide for us. Worse yet, we dishonor their honoring of us, because we do not honor ourselves. And finally, quote, The Queen's Code is about partnership. One of the biggest benefits of the feminist movement is the opportunity to be equal partners. But women will never truly be liberated and free to be queens until we are free of our misconceptions about our partners, including the idea that we think the same, speak the same, and are motivated by the same things. Those are just three passages from 300 pages. I believe in the great reconciliation with all my heart, not just because it makes sense to me on a soul level, but because I've seen it in a book called The Queen's Code. And my hope with this podcast is that you'll see, as I do, that in our world of shattered trust between men and women, Alison, the book's author, is worthy of your trust. But the good news is you don't have to take my word for it. Men, if you haven't heard enough already, I ask you to give her just 17 minutes, and I think you'll hear something you like, and then so much more. In our conversation, we discuss dependence, independence, and interdependence between men and women, ultimatums, and what they mean to women versus men, what women's independence is for, and how they can think about giving it up, and what they'll get in return, the difference between non-starters in new relationships versus not-forevers in existing relationships, And finally, the language of heroes, which is a method for women to communicate their needs to men in an authentic and clear way, which, in Allison's words, quote, speaks to the heart, soul, and spirit of a man. It calls to him, rouses him, honors him. And that, ultimately, is why I'm hosting a woman on the Renaissance of Men, because alongside Jack Donovan, Tanner Guzzi, Dr. Warren Farrell, Ryan Mickler, Robert Bly, Roman McClay, Anthony Johnson, Douglas Gillette. David Data, Elliot Hulse, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and so many more of my greatest teachers about men and masculinity, there's one who's spoken from a perspective that none of them can. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the internationally acclaimed author of The Queen's Code, my friend, Alison Armstrong. Allison, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. I had this whole plan for how I wanted to approach this conversation, but we were chatting just a second ago before I hit record. And uh, you actually said something about women listening to men. And I just actually want to start right there. And then we'll get to all the things that I wanted to talk about. But I wonder if you could repeat uh, what it was that you just said. Well,
3: when we started our workshops in 1995 and um, by happenstance I had a panel of men (laughs) when I realized I couldn't answer everyone's question so okay let's just bring some men in here to answer them Um, and it turned out to be a miracle and and then women started sharing with me how their lives had changed since that one day and there were nine women in my best friend's living room right And what I finally connected was that what had happened was whatever like sort of filter lens um, restriction women had been listening to men through and women had been seeing men through, right? Like as compared to an idealized person, as compared to an ideal woman or the perfect person. That all I really had done up to the point where those real men arrived was started to break that up. And that most of what I do is just enabling men and women to see and hear themselves and each other more, you could say more accurately, more, more what's real for the other person than what's real for the listener or the viewer. Like they're getting to see that other human being as themselves instead of as compared to how they ought to be, which leaves very little getting through. So I say it's such a small aperture. So so much of what I've been working on for ages is is dissecting what what is seeing and what is hearing, and what are we actually doing when we're listening? And, and how, how does the way that we listen filter what can be heard and that experience that so many people have of, you're not listening, you're not, (laughs) they'll say it that way, you're not listening. Yeah, I am listening. And then, and we've been able to distinguish like normal, instinctual human ways of listening actually cause... A person to be listening to themselves, Mm -hmm. not the other person. So a really common one, and this can mess up a lot of like dating situations, um, is to listen with the question in one's head. Someone's talking and they list the question that's literally filtering and they don't realize it Mm -hmm. is what do I know about that?
4: Mm -hmm.
3: What do I know about that? What do I know about that? So at the end of whatever the person said, what the person who supposedly was listening is present to is what they know about that. Not what the person said about that, not what matters to the person about that, right? What it's like to be a person who thinks that, what they're left with is what I know about that. And a variation on that is what do I think about that? Do I agree with that? What do I want to say about that? Or um, just last week, I was interacting with parents about listening—a filter many parents listen with—and and and to adults even in relationship, especially at work, for sure. what What do they need from me? What do they need from me? What do they need from me? So they're not left with the other person's reality. They're not left with seeing everything that's going into what it is they're talking about but they're left with sure what this person needs from them. And then they provide it (laughs) usually without asking if the other person wants it. (laughs) And, and so we, we walk around feeling not known and I don't remember if we talked about this in our interview, Will, but I mean, I've, you know, I don't just pay attention to the touchy feely stuff, right. And, and paying attention to what, has a woman um, want to take her own life and it's that nobody sees me
4: mm-hmm.
3: and what has a man conclude that he should take his own life it's that they're better off without me
4: mm-hmm.
3: like, and you know men take their own lives because that's how they're that's the best way they can provide for the people they care about is not have themselves be the problem right or have themselves eat. Right? (laughs) Y'all are better off without me. You'll have more food between you. Right? It's, I mean, it's very, it it starts, you know, basic and keeps going. And uh, so, this being seen and valued and knowing you make a difference and you're recognized, the quality of our relationships can, they're described in terms of that without people even using this word. Mm hmm. They'll say I get to be myself, or they like me just the way I am.
0: You know, you said a bunch of things in there that I think would be—they're really relevant, not just to me, but to a lot of the men who listen to this podcast. And it's one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you—is that I think that there, there's a characteristic, I guess, among men. I can't say how many generations, but I know it's definitely my own generation. And from what I understand. A couple of generations prior, at least, that men don't feel listened to. They don't know what to say, and that they don't know themselves and aren't seen as the sort of creatures that would say, you know what, I would end my own life if it would make someone else's life better. Because that's what you just said is that, you know, a man would end his own life if he feels rightly or wrongly, typically wrongly, that someone would be better off without him. And that's, there's, there's obviously, you know, suicide is a huge tragedy It's something that's touched my life as well. But I think that there's something very powerful in that for men not being understood, not being seen, not being listened to, and yet being the sort of creatures who would say, if it would make someone's life better, even in some sort of distorted way, that they would end their own life. And I, I think it's a difficult thing for men to accept that we're so much better, and I can say for myself that it was a difficult thing for me to accept that I was so much better than I had ever been treated, that I had ever even treated mm. myself as. And it was a big, it was a big journey for me to realize that I was not what I had been told I was. That I was so much more in some very mm. ways, and that involved a lot of people listening to me, and also for me personally. Reading your books and recognizing in myself some things that you had written about in the Queen's Code and the Keys to the Kingdom, which I which I'd like to get to, to be really seen. Like I didn't even understand why I did that, why I did those things and what the way. And it was it was such a profound experience of actually being seen, really by a woman, probably for the first time in my life. And I was just feeling that from reading Mm. the book. And so I think Mm. that that was why I was so excited to have you on this podcast because I know that you can offer Mm. similar experience to so many so many men and also so many women as well. So they can really see their partners also.
3: Yeah. I'm, and I, as you know, I put am here for, not just, on, not just with you. Um, so I'm glad to do it. And to, to finish the train that we thought um, it's, you know, obviously taking one's own life would be the most dramatic, but I also know, um, so many fathers who, what, who haven't seen their children, um, for a really long time, you know, weeks, months, years, decades. And what they'll say is they're better off without me.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. And, and I've interacted with so many people who never knew their father and they'll say, you know, he abandoned us, you know, when I was a baby or when my mother was pregnant. And, um And not knowing, you know, that he did that. They think he did that because he was a flake or a jerk, right? Like that's what Kimberly's mom thinks in the Queen's Code. Um, She doesn't know her dad left when her mother was pregnant because he concluded that she and her mom would be okay being taken care of by Claudia and Bert and and that they would be better off without him, that he was like one man said to me once, I can't even take care of myself. I have no business trying to take care of another human being, mm-hmm. right? And and he was, you know, had been accused of being commitment phobic. Really?
5: <laughs> I don't think that's commitment phobic. I think that's someone who's really being honest about their ability to provide, mm-hmm. right?
3: And to be taken seriously instead of accused of something that's,
0: that he's the opposite of. So thanks for letting me finish that. Oh, no. I mean, like you're welcome. And I think it's really important that men understand themselves uh, that way because it was important for me to understand that my wants and needs for myself are fundamentally good. And for many years, I had the judgment that the things that I wanted were bad because I had been told that I was bad, that men are bad. And so naturally Mm -hmm. that, that was absorbed from Uh, I have no specific memories, but that was absorbed from my environment, say my media environment, like the ridiculous dad meme that was going around on TV at the time when I was a kid. And I think my mom was also part of the '60s, and she had her own um, she had her own perspectives on men, and I absorbed those as as her son. And probably, you know, my dad did as well in his own ways. I can't say for sure; we haven't had that conversation yet. But at the same time, I had to unwire that in myself, and I had to learn to see myself in a new way and to give myself the benefit of the doubt. And that had to be one of the most difficult processes to go through was to unlearn the ways that I would emasculate myself, to use a word from the Queen's Code. But then also once I started doing that and started saying, say, coming into my own, I started feeling the emasculation coming from women around me almost unconsciously. And I began to recognize mm. how powerfully it exists in our culture. And you know, for all the talk of I don't want to tend this too quickly into like a political discussion, but for all the talk about patriarchy and, and toxic masculinity and, and all that stuff, there's actually a very powerful shaming aspect of men that's just kind of out there, which is in the in the air that we breathe in some ways. And it's been one of the most difficult things to see that because I can't unsee it to unwire it within myself mm. and then to see it in the men and the people around me. And you speak so and, and write so movingly about that.
3: Mm. Well, I'll talk about someone just said a lot um would love to spend time on shame and shaming. Mm-hmm. There's a gold mine mm-hmm. um, and when you talk about how far back does it go mm-hmm. i I think I think for a very, 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 very long time like generation after generation after generation the the predominant conversation probably about men from women was that 's just how they are right that that's just how they are mm-hmm. right? that oh, 's just how they are that 's just, <laughs> mm-hmm. just how they are, and that what um, I think evolved in certainly in my lifetime, being born in 1960, is you shouldn't be, right? Like like the development of, like personal development, right? The era of personal development and growth and self-growth and transformation, uh, y- you should fix that that thing about you, you should fix that. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, like, or you should take some medication for that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or, or there's just, there's such a, um, focus on individuality and what's wrong with me as an individual and what's the cause and effect of what's wrong with me and blaming my parents for it. Right. Or, or my son's sign or whatever it is. And, and the idea that, that we, you know, there's something, it's a predominant way of people listening, by the way, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Right. And um, yeah. Oh gosh, it's huge. And yeah. So we, and some people are really like to stop asking that question, they wouldn't know who they were because the answer gives them something to work on and having something to work on is a good way to avoid how painful it is to be present, to being human. And so, yeah. So I think, I think, yeah, I think what's been in place is, is yeah, that's how men are. And then, yeah, that's how men are. And you shouldn't be. And yet, yeah, that's how you are. Men are, and you should fix that. (laughs) And, but there's a wrongness you know a definite wrongness that women have about that what's natural for a man is wrong
4: mm-hmm.
3: and but what's what's kind of tough will is as women are being that way about men most of them don't recognize that we're being that way about ourselves too mm-hmm. yeah like women will women will like be I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I gave some you know so many details or I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry for being so emotional I'm sorry I'm sorry you know I, I'm so scattered right now I shouldn't be scattered right they're they're just what's wrong with me procrastination women talk to me about how they procrastinate and there's the self condemnation is extraordinary and they have no idea that <laughs> what they're Doing is natural for how their brain is affected by estrogen, and they're not procrastinating. They're actually preparing, and they have to clean their environment first in order to focus. And and when they find that out, they like all this. What? I mean, I'm not wrong, right? Because <laughs> these things we're compelled to do, and we feel terrible that we can't control the compulsion to do it. And I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I just want to say I hope we're, I hope we can also talk about sex drive because talk about shaming. Mm. Jeez Louise. <laughs> like, I mean, everything from a uh, horn dog to workaholic to mansplaining. This, this new, I mean, I don't know when it first came out, but when I heard it, I wanted to throw up. Oh, he was mansplaining. <laughs> Talk about not being able to hear. Right. Okay, All right. I'll, I'll leave it up to you what we talk about. But oh my gosh!
0: <laughs> no, go with that. You know, honestly, like I have no <laughs> I, at this at this point where we we we've shaken the conversation. We were talking about sailing earlier, and kind of a ha- sailing as. A- <laughs> metaphor for being able to go with the flow. And, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy having long conversations on podcasts because I just go where the wind's blow. And, and, and I think that's a lot of fun. So let's go with that. Let's go with mansplaining. And I think all the guys listening will be really curious to hear your thoughts on that because we've all heard it. And it's like, it's just mm. this, oh God, oh like, really? And, you know, there is a component of like where, where I broke it down for myself, where there's a, there's a component of mansplaining where it's like, you can be talking down to somebody, you know, which is like a kind condesc- of, yeah. There is a component of that, but that's a human quality. But I think what's embedded in this notion of mansplaining is that a man explaining something to a woman is necessarily condescending. Like, for example, like what I would have just said would be, "Listen to, listen to Will mansplaining to Allison." It's like, well, no, I'm just expressing. You know, <laughs> if i be like, you know, Allison, I have to tell you something. That would be a totally different thing. So let's let's dig into mansplaining, you know, because I don't think it's used in a fair way.
3: Okay, well, my. My interpretation when I first like saw it right and saw it, it expressed as that way, which is I don't know some t v show or something, and um well, oh, he was mansplaining mm. and my experience is that um, a, so a woman is looking at a man and what he's doing, and she doesn't know that she's looking at it. As compared to her expectations, as compared to what he should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that what he should be doing is what a woman would have been doing. <laughs> and yep, and she's certain, and here's where really gets this is where all the nasty stuff comes in. She's certain that he knows what he should be doing. <laughs> Which is what a woman would be doing is, in fact, the right thing to do,, yep. and so she's sure that he knows the right thing to do, and he's purposely not doing the right thing <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,, right. and you know, and there's a word for that someone who knows the right thing and is not doing, they are misbehaving,
4: mhm, yeah,
3: right, they are behaving badly, right, and and so mansplaining is a man to a woman. It, it, so so a, a woman will try to hold a man to account for not having done what he should have done. And he will try to defend himself by explaining why he did what he did. Mm-hmm. But to her, he's just justifying bad behavior. Hmm. So, oh, so sorry. So mansplaining is bullshit. Mansplaining is the bullshit a man is giving as an excuse for having done the wrong thing, (laughs) which is what a woman would have done.
0: That's right, because the woman knows what the right thing is because that's what she would have done.
3: Well, if it's not what she would have done, it's what she should have done. Mm-hmm. which is, which is something that, you know, you guys care about us and you care about us destroying our own self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And so when we're, when we're comparing ourselves to what the what the perfect person would have done, which of course is based on a female um, when we don't live up to our own expectations. I should have, I should have, I should have, I should have known better. I should have done that. I should have trusted this. I should have said that. I should have not. I should have not been this or that. When we're doing that, you try to defend us from ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Like, honey, but you couldn't have, right? Honey, look how you were provoked. Honey, look at the situation you're in. Honey, please, you know, like you guys are in pain for how we're attacking ourselves. And so it's not even what we would have done. <laughs> you should have done what we should have done in that situation. And we don't live up to our own. That's why I call it the ideal woman or the perfect person, depending on what, you know, where you're listening to me. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is idealized. And, and we've never met this ideal, ever. Mm -hmm. we've never met it like ourselves we've met never lived up to it but we've also never seen it in another human being no one no one qualifies.
0: well because it's the ideal right like it's you can never (laughs) yeah
3: and we've never actually witnessed it but but that i the ideal isn't um discredited by (laughs) the lack of reality Mm -hmm. we don't actually question, is this is this belonging? Is this 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 voice in my head that keeps telling me what I should have done? Is is that voice insane? And you know, and I, I and I just tease that she's she's we we used to call her psycho bitch. <laughs> P B <laughs> That voice in your head is a psychotic bitch and she thinks you're going to survive by being perfect. And she thinks she'll become perfect if she constantly criticizes you. And why do you give her so much credibility when she's a figment of her own imagination?
0: Mm -hmm. Because I'm familiar with your work. I want to, I want to break this down because this shows up in the queen. I want to break this down for the guys listening. So, um, because it's just the two of us on the call, but more will be listening. So I want to make sure that they understand that what what, uh, you're describing is women have in their mind the image of the perfect person. And the perfect person or the ideal person is a woman. And the ideal person is a woman knows exactly what the right thing to do is, which is what a woman would do, right? So when a woman observes a man's behavior and her own behavior, she compares herself to the ideal woman who would behave in such a way and judges herself as lacking first and foremost, which is a disempowering, right? a disempower, I don't know that's the word, but I'll use it now, disempowering, positioning, mm-hmm. self-criticizing. But then that she also mm-hmm. takes that female standard of behavior and applies it to the man and assumes mm-hmm. that the man knows that that's the standard of behavior. So the man, in a sense, mm-hmm. loses twice. First, he loses because he doesn't just obviously <laughs> know what the right standard of behavior is, but he loses a second time because there's no way he could even do that because he doesn't know what it is. And he's a man and he behaves differently. So the man has two strikes against him in any situation. And so the, so the, the pain, the emasculation, the judgment that he feels coming from a woman in many circumstances is, is because he's so dumb to not know the right standard behavior and he's not doing the right standard behavior. So he's already lost going into the situation. And this is mansplaining in many other different scenarios.
3: Yes, and okay, okay, where you put he's so dumb he doesn't know the right thing to do
4: mm-hmm.
3: that's some women can, someone some women's conclusion okay that men are stupid.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: They're, they're so stupid, they don't know the right thing to do, but an even worse one is the certainty that you know the right thing to do, and you're purposely not doing it. Mm-hmm. And you deserve to be punished.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You deserve to be punished for being a person who purposely doesn't do the right thing. But most women don't. Later on, you're too dumb to know the right thing. That's that's actually less frequent than you know the right thing and you're choosing to not do it. And that's why you can't be trusted with power. That's why you shouldn't be given anything that you need that would make you more powerful, more able um you're 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 dangerous you're you're dangerous you should be kept on a leash and not given too much food <laughs> mm-hmm. and like i i'm only gonna give you enough to be handy mm-hmm. but but don't let you be powerful and 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 then it gets worse will because the part of part of being female is our feelings being the barometer Mm -hmm. and that our feelings, we're sure our feelings tell us the right thing to do, that our feelings cause our actions. So the certainty is that you're misbehaving, you know the right thing to do and you're not bothering to do it because you don't feel the way about me that if you did feel that way about me, you would do the right thing. And and it splits there again. Well, because it's if you loved me more, you would choose to right the right thing. If you respected me more, you would do the right thing. If you cared about me more, you would do the right thing, which I'm sure you know what it is, and it's what the perfect person would have done. And and where it splits there is then (laughs) you either don't love and care and respect me enough because there's something wrong with me, Mm -hmm. right? And I know what's wrong with me because I compare myself to that perfect person. And I can see I'm too assertive or I'm not assertive enough or I'm too successful or I'm not fill in the blank enough, right? So we have the answer to what's wrong with me is the answer to why you don't act right. Or when we get in a situation where you just can't stand it being what's wrong with me, it's what's wrong with you. (laughs) You, you misbehave because, right? Because um, the latest, which makes me want to throw up is narcissistic. Before Mm -hmm. that it was sociopathic. Before that it was, um, oh my gosh, what did women call men back then? Um, There's another one before that one. Um, But there's all these, like, because men are, right? So it could be individualized, you know, your mother was terrible to you, or it could be because all men, Mm -hmm. all men are misogynist. All men are fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. So it it goes back to this, what's, that aperture right what's wrong with me and what's wrong with you <laughs> that you're not doing what you ought to be doing and 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 that's why it's stunning for women and men to well what if this isn't personal and what if we're part of the animal kingdom and part of nature on the planet and we have instincts and what if there's a hierarchy of instincts and if you look at human behavior through a hierarchy of instincts that are all about survival, uh it clears up pretty fast. Yes. <laughs> really like surprisingly fast. Um everybody's behavior just becomes kind of like, oh, well then what do we do so that we can all be better people? Oh <laughs>
0: And, and And well, let me make sure real quick before I move on that I understand. Mm-hmm. OK, because okay. I, I want to get to the hierarchy of instincts and evolutionary, I guess, evolutionary biology and, and how this solves all the problems, because it's, it's something that I, that I think is, <laughs> that I think is really important, and that many, many men in this world have arrived to is like, well, evolutionary biology makes it all make sense, and it seems to do that. There are resistances to that in in various other corners, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay, so a man, his first strike is that he he doesn't know the proper standard of behavior potentially right like you're not you're not behaving you're misbehaving right that's the second one so you know you know it you're choosing to ignore it so you're misbehaving three that means that mm-hmm. three that means that you don't love me right so that's the third that's mm-hmm. the third strike the fourth strike is that is the woman says to herself i am not lovable Right, so she takes it she takes it personally, <laughs> and then the fifth strike is if her inner self somehow rebels against this notion that she's not lovable, which is you know naturally compensatory function, then it becomes an accusation towards that man and potentially all men by extension that they are somehow broken, that he or they are broken and flawed in some fundamental way,
3: yes, and for you know, I'm precise, yes, sir. um in context matters. Sometimes it's, I know you love me, but you don't respect me. Okay. Or in a business context, respect is what's always there. and Or it could be, I know you respect my acumen in business, but you don't care about me as a human being. You respect my results, but you don't care about me. So it can be love, respect, or care, or a combination. And so... Um, yeah, it's not just love. Even in romantic relationships, it's not just love.
0: Got it. No, those are really important distinctions. Thank you.
3: Yeah, you're welcome. And, and yeah, what it seems to happen where it shifts from what's wrong with me is either like, there's just, it happens again and again and again, you know, a couple decades of the same stuff happening. It must just be who men are. Mm -hmm. And then if we because of the culture or in our own home, what are we exposed to? You know, as our mother, this is how men are, right. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to buy that quicker. And, you know, and I I started studying men with the question, what if men are responding to women Mm -hmm. and, and got to find out so many ways that you're not right. That's keys of the kingdom. The ways you're not responding to women, the stages of development, and then and then, what ways are men responding to women, and you're totally responding to our attitudes, right, to our intent and and to our use of the words that communicate or don't communicate
4: mm-hmm.
3: I and mean, it's there's, there's so much in and you know the big the big lie that men are insensitive because you and we think you're insensitive because you don't react to the ways that we're prompting you, the ways we're trying to manipulate your behavior. You don't act right. Well, (laughs) 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 which, you know, right would be the way that a woman would. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, it's stunning to me. The, the damage of this, this filter, you know, it just, this, it reminds me of, um, I had uh, cataracts removed a few years ago. And the way they remove a cataract is they dissolve the lens that it's grown on, right? And they do it one eye at a time. And so I, after the left eye was done, and I was checking to see how quickly my vision was recovering. And I had these snazzy lenses, this technology in my eyes. And so I was comparing, you know, closing my right eye, closing my left eye, closing my right eye, and closing my left eye. And then I noticed that that my eyes were not seeing the same color. Mm. (laughs) I'm looking at a wall in my house, and it's not the same color, depending on which eye is looking through. And the cataracts, yes. And so the cataracts were like this ugly gold color, this brown gold color. And so my home, and I'm really sensitive to color, my home had been seen through this filter of this brownish gold. Um, for I didn't know how long (laughs) and that's that's how pervasive this as compared to a perfect person and you know to again to be accurate I men do watch women compared to a man except for the difference I see is this you guys just give us more latitude Mm -hmm. like well she's scattered but Oh, well, <laughs> you know, or, or Dennis Prager, you know, just convinced that, that if you could just get women to focus on sex, it would all work out. <laughs> and, and like, what?
0: That's what Dennis Prager said.
3: That's what he thought, that the problem was that women, you got to get them to focus on sex. And I was like, no, Dennis, the problem is that women don't focus <laughs> Our
5: brains are not built to focus at all. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> and
3: yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And from time to time, I encounter a man who thinks that a woman really should be able to change the behavior that's created by estrogen. That like he thought his wife, now that she knew why she was scattered, that she would focus. <laughs> this is not the intent of my work (laughs) for you to know well that your focus may keep interrupting the connection that the women around you need so stop being focused (laughs) no right no like how about we use what you're focused on to connect over
5: let's connect over what you're focused on (laughs) let's ride the horse in the direction it's going let's work with this so much easier
0: well this is actually a perfect segue into the queen's code because i think for people um i think for people we've i we throw them through them into kind of the deep end of the conversation is really what the <laughs> name Reed, we just like, segued in from the conversation we we're having and and uh, and i think with the things that you've said so far i think the men will understand why it was i wanted to have you on here because i've never really found any uh women writers authors speakers that talk about things in the way in the way that you do and my plan for starting out this conversation was I wanted to start out by saying I would like to talk about the Queen's Code, and I want my goal is to mm-hmm. get every, to get every man and woman listening to this conversation by the end of the conversation to go out and buy a copy of the Queen's Code. So I think what you just mm. said gives me a, a nice a nice uh, ability to segue into uh, the book itself and beginning to um, beginning to execute on that plan. Because I think one of the things that really struck me about that book when I read it was it was wonderful to read as a man, to read a a female author and the female characters within the book, learning to understand how to communicate with men to bring out the best in them. And so I read that book as well as Keys to the Kingdom, the, the prequel. Reading Keys to the Kingdom was learning about the different phases of my life that I had been through and was still going through and am still going through. But reading the Queen's Code was was understanding that I have all these aspects about me that are fundamentally good, and that I mm. aspects I desperately want to put in service for a woman to provide in so many different ways. To so use the first of the, of the word of the hero's language, um, which is an aspect. Mm. of, we won't, go, we won't go further into the hero's language from there because I know that you know uh, you have to. There's a certain uh, vows you have to take for before learning the rest of them, which make complete sense. When <laughs> But to, to understand that, like, that is why I've always felt the way that I have. Why is it that I want to follow the things that I want? I'm just looking for the right woman to understand that this is who I'm trying to be, but I don't have the language to articulate it. And when I read The Queen's Code, I understood myself in a new way. I, I gave the book to my girlfriend at the time. And when she read it, she was in tears. She was literally crying. And, and she looked at me like it was the first time she'd ever seen me. And she was talking about how she wanted mm. to reach out to one of her exes and apologize because she had failed to see him as well. And perhaps that's why they didn't end up together. And so there's real healing mm. in the Queen's Code, I think, for men to read it and to understand themselves and for women to read it and to understand their partners and for men and women to understand each other better, you know, the great reconciliation in many ways is is based upon your work in the sense that you were the first person to prove to me that it was possible, so if we can um, mm. talk about the Queen's Code, that would be really great, so more men and women can get this book
3: mm. Well, you know I love talking about the queen's Code um like like people love talking about their children mm-hmm. where there's a small percentage of how your child is or turns out that you can legitimately take credit for. (laughs) (laughs) I know with my three, I've I've been in awe of them since they were born. And, um, even though I knew I had to write that book and in the beginning, I called it the transformation of a frog farmer. That's Mm. how it was in my head. And, um, Because it started with me, like Kimberly, finding out I was a frog farmer, Mm -hmm. and as in a woman who turns princes into frogs. (laughs) Uh, But I, you know, and it took me 15 years to learn. It, It didn't take me that long to learn everything about men that's in there. It took me that long to learn what had to be accounted for for a woman to be able to let herself see and hear men in a way that I was representing and to
4: mm-hmm. embrace
3: and interact with men as I was representing. That's what took so long to learn how to do. And, you know, as, as, as you know, when I sat down to write the book, then the whole outline, right. You know, presented it to New York publishers had gotten it, bought the whole thing. Um, it, you know, the screen opened up and a, a movie began and, and all I I transcribed the Queen's code. Mm-hmm. I I took a I took a movie and made a screenplay, <laughs> right? And um, and so I, my love of talking about it, it is like one of my children with this sense of awe. And when I read it, I laugh and I cry and I'm surprised. And there's things in there that I have forgotten were in there that I not that I didn't know. That I'm like, oh God, I got to remember. <laughs> okay. I haven't been so good at that. And uh, yeah, so just if we have that understanding and me talking about the book, there's a very small amount of, I know I did that. (laughs) I'm I'm clear about what I did. And and also women will say, you, you know, Alison, you transformed my life. And, or the Queen's Code transformed my life. And I know the truth is that they transformed their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they had to be receptive. They had to take it on. They had to, you know, every moment of courage that they m- made a different choice instead of did what they were compelled to do, like it literally overrode that the tension in their bodies and minds, you know, to do something um, extraordinary.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things I like about myself is that I, I get moved. Very easily by things that are properly moving, and um, I was sitting actually just yesterday. Uh, I was out with my friend Cody, and his son. We were in rural Ohio, hanging out. We were sitting at a um, a pizza joint, you know, in the, in the middle of the country. And uh, he had he had we had gone for a hike that day. He and his son and I, and uh, he had a, he had a meeting that he had to go to, like on Zoom. So we pulled over this pizza joint. The pizza joint had Wi Fi, fortunately. And uh, the three of us are sitting there at the table. Cody was on his Zoom meeting, and his son and I were just kind of sitting there eating pizza. And and so I got out the book and just started reading. And 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 I was sitting there reading the book, The Queen's Code. And I was just feeling moved by so much that I had read to feel to feel really seen, to feel really listened to. You know, as a man was a very was a very powerful thing. And so that feeling that you have of Of your own book, and also struggling to keep it all in my head, like the wisdom in the book about men and women. Like I need, I I know I need to write this down because I just can't. I can't keep all of it in in my mind for for an interview or even for five minutes because so much of I had to. I had to deprogram myself in so many ways as it taught me so much. So I can definitely relate to that experience of that you have of your own of your own book because, as as you said, you know, a screen opened up, I guess, in your mind's eye, right, where you just kind of like. You sort of wrote down what was on the screen?
3: It Well, the place of it, uh, it's like if you look up and to the right, right? Like just like look at it about two o'clock to your own head. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the screen is. It it did the same thing for Keys of Kingdom. I didn't count on it doing it for the Queen's Code. Um, it's still doing it. When I check into the next book, mm-hmm. um, they... The, the movie's still there. They're they're all waiting. They're having lives. They they show me what's been going on. Um, the next book starts a year after the end of the Queen's Code, and uh, and I I literally ty- just typed as fast as I could and tried to figure out how to describe their gestures and facial expressions and changes in their voices and but I but I watched and I listened. <laughs> I mean. They are themselves. I have no idea where they exist, but, but they exist somewhere. And um, my nephew, after Keys of Kingdom came out, he, he said, if I looked out the window and saw Karen and, and Claudia and Bert and Mike, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> They're real, right? And, and someone else asked me, um, how's Claudia? this is like six months after it's published what do you mean well you know she she's she's elderly is is she okay is she still alive (laughs) i was like honey you know it's fiction right and she's like yeah 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 yeah. but is she okay (laughs) 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 and yeah it's 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 odd. It's a, it's, a, it's a process of like surrendering to the movie, you know, and because uh, and all the emotions it would, cause, it, it would cause me at the time and causes me when I reread it.
0: Well, just to, just to um, I want to talk about what the, what the book is and, and the form that it takes and, and uh, dig into that. But since, mm-hmm. you mentioned, since you mentioned Claudia, I have a quote here uh, from the book. And uh, Claudia was shaking her head again. Quote, this is something I cannot fully explain with the limited understanding you have of men. For now, let me say that men are nurtured, literally fed energy, merely by being in the presence of a contented woman. They do not need to pay attention to her for it to matter that she is there. If she is happy, they are getting recharged. And that
4: Mm -hmm. I
0: have, I have, I, I, I haven't. I read it on Kindle originally. So this is my original note from when I read the book sometime back in 2017, 2018. It's the word yes, with like six or seven exclamation points after it. (laughs) And, you know, that's just the sort of thing that I'd I'd never, literally never heard anyone else write or say before, but that I resonated with was so true from my experience of just to be around a, a contented woman is just it's soul nurturing in a way that I are nourishing in a way that I, I, I couldn't even express. And I read that in the book. I'm like, I'm in love with whatever this book is. That's <laughs> <So, not laughs> just one paragraph, you know, 400 pages. So. <laughs> so let's go from there.
3: Well, I mean, that comment, I had to learn it the hard way because I, I, I how I had been was um if you're not paying attention to me, what am I doing here? You know, why do you want me home if you're not paying attention? Right. Mm. Or I, I, that had come from when I had been dating. Um, and, and the man I was dating had me come over and sit on the couch while he watched a ball game
4: Mm.
3: and he wasn't paying any attention to me, but he wanted me there. And I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> there there are a lot of things that go into, you know, men wondering about women being the center of the universe. And, you know, we get to unpack it, right? If you're not paying attention to me, especially if you're focused on something else, because you that focus is so different than how many things a woman can attend to at the same time, we get really afraid. We get afraid that, you know, the tiger could come along and eat me and you wouldn't even notice. Mm-hmm. And we don't know we don't know the the override of single focus is a cry for help. And and you drop everything and grab a weapon and run before you even know what it is. Right run towards it. We don't know that about you. We don't know we, you can be trusted for that. So it's fine if you're focused. You'll take care of me. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. You say? <laughs> mhm. But I mean, no, I mean that—that's the thing that isn't that isn't well understood. I think by men about themselves and by women about men. That you know there is a, there is a quality of of presence of being around a woman that even if I'm not immediately directly focused on her, I can feel her in my body, and and the, mm. the tension and, and the and the and, and whatever tension, if there is tension in the relationship, or contentedness is is in fact nourishing simply to have her there, and I had felt that mm. before. In other circumstances, but I could never put my finger on it. But there was something that resonated mm. with me as, so, as being so very, very true about that. And in the very next moment, there was a feeling, I guess, of maybe some amount of heartbreak, of how rarely I'd ever felt that. And the Queen's Code goes into some mm. reasons why that's the case.
3: Mm. Yeah, I. So, I mean, I know heart math and other things are figuring out how to measure and quantify all the unseen things going on energetically between people um but i but there's so many things we act upon even without without consciously being aware of it and 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 a really a downside of women's instincts is that we can feel that when I'm happy, when I'm content, which mm-hmm. means happy enough with what one is or does or has, that you're free, mm-hmm. that, I, that I freed you in some way, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I call it unhappy I'm principle. There, there are women who who are unhappy to keep your attention on me.
0: No, really? Yeah. Oh, I believe uh, now that I think about that. Yeah. Like, okay. I can believe that for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
4: They, they,
3: they won't. Because they don't know that you can be trusted to react, to protect me that you really do do so many things already for me, including resting. So you can go produce some more to provide for me. until we know we can trust that, we, we don't set you free by our own happiness.
0: Is there a component of women not being willing to set themselves free as well?
3: Um, well, there's definitely a component of there are emotions that we come to identify ourselves with. hmm and we don't know who we are without it. Mm-hmm. Like they're both men and women who know that they are themselves because of the feeling of resentment. <sighs> right? Yeah. Which is like a the salami of anger, right? It's mm-hmm. aged and cured. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and it's It's <That's> heavy. <laughs> yeah, and it's heavy and it's solid. And <laughs> it's got a lot of gristle in it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but there are people who, who uh, feed their resentment. You know, keep putting putting logs on that that you know, in the those coals because they feel like themselves when they have that feeling.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And same thing with people who are anxious; they don't know themselves when they're not. Or excitement, which you know has to do with the The number one in the hierarchy of instincts, uh, they keep themselves wound up
4: Mm -hmm. uh,
3: because that's what makes them feel alive and that's what makes them, that's what they've identified with. And I was definitely like that. I I kept myself very wound up. Um, I didn't, I thought peace would be like
5: death.
3: (laughs) I equated peace and death.
4: Um,
5: it's
0: intense,
3: so, yeah, yeah. all kinds of mental states and emotions that we won't let go for anything. And I don't know if you're familiar with extreme freedom, um which is the course that I created Uh that's all about people liberating themselves, and it's that's my passion mm-hmm. and and that you know, for how many years I've worked. To restore myself and be whole and be you know let go of everything that isn't me and isn't love right um i really come to the conclusion that what we think we're stuck with we're actively keeping mm-hmm. and yeah <laughs> and yeah we we have there's so many benefits so so yeah there besides being unhappy and principle and in the the most i i think the most devastating effect of a woman who is unhappy and principle and will never ever be satisfied with anything anybody does is what that does to a family and especially a family with boys in it Mm that 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 boys boys will conclude they're just not good enough like yep. There's nothing they can do to alter their mother's state. And it's, it, it, can be, it can be devastating to their sense of self. It's recoverable because I don't think we're human beings can be damaged, really. We can think we are, but nothing can be permanent. Um, but boy, does it have a huge impact.
0: Mm-hmm. You're making me think of, um, I think it's Melissa in the Queen's Code and, and, and her treatment of her son's.
4: Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. Mm. So let's, yeah. let's ouch. yeah, ouch for sure. It's, it's, <laughs> well let's 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 talk a little bit about what the what the book is. Um and you mentioned that you know you um you transcribed it as it appeared in your in your mind's eye. So what exactly what exactly is the Queen's Code? What shape does it take and uh and how does it unfold?
3: Mm. Well, um the intent always was to write a book that would transform the way women relate to men. Uh, I didn't know it could transform the way men related to themselves. So that's like, wow, put me in tears. Um, And, and so it's, it's, it's fiction because I think people learn better when they're not on the hot seat. And it's, it's fiction from eight different points of view um, because I believe that we're all in our own blind spot and we don't see ourselves clearly. And when you can experience someone from inside their own head and then experience them from someone else's observations, you can, you can see the, the disconnect mm. between who someone thinks they are and how they occur to others. And, um, and that that's important, right? It's, it, it's, it's important to know that our reality about ourselves isn't the reality, right? The only one. And, um, and, and to see the misunderstandings, you know, that, the way that we interpret each other, um, how inaccurate it is, right? Like, early in the book when they're looking at uh what you know, how they react to men and what they think about a man because of what he did and should have done and and Karen, you know, goes home from her lesson with Claudia and Kimberly and the garage door is open and she's you know, she's frightened. She doesn't realize she's frightened, right? That that would let an enemy in. Um, but she's just she goes straight from frightened to pissed that you know her husband is so lazy and um, and inattentive that he would leave the garage door open, and so she arrives home irritated at him already, <laughs> really irritated, like, oh, geez. And to find out later that he knew when she was going to be home and opened the garage door. <laughs> To welcome her home, (laughs) that she wouldn't have to push the button. She could just drive right in, you know, welcome home, honey. (laughs) It was something he was really aware of, and it was an expression for him, right? For her. What? How how can that be? And and I, you know, that's a a small, very domestic example. Um, It came from my real life, by the way. Greg did that. <laughs> and I thought that, um and you know, and that's really how the book plays out is just really ordinary normal life circumstances that are being interpreted and misinterpreted and causing friction and anger and disappointment and people feeling unloved and unseen, uncared about, uh, disrespected, right when it wasn't what the other person was really up to. Mm -hmm. And like the scene between um, Jack and Kimberly in the restaurant, uh, boy, I didn't see that coming at all. I sobbed when that happened. (laughs) Um, And where what she expressed hurt him so deeply, which before I started studying men, I didn't think men could be hurt. I didn't think it was possible and uh I'm so sorry um it's okay crushed is the word is the word that men tend to use um and you can see it physically crushed like run over by a truck and you know and so he him being so hurt by what she was asking him for and the gap between what he wanted with her and what she was asking him for that most women would think what she was asking for men would think was so cool. Like, Oh yeah, that's all men really want. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then for him to see that his interpretation of it wasn't what was really ha- happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And that transformation, that moment, you know, obviously we've details detailed. So that transformation in him as he saw her. Right. And, um, so, and that's, yes, there's Claudia teaching and there's Claudia, you know, talking with Bert about how the teaching went and what it was like for her and his support of her and his observation of what it was doing to her, right? And both the joy and, and the exhaustion and what was happening to her. And so, it's, I mean, if you look at it, like there's nothing extraordinary in the book. These are, People go to work, (laughs) right? They go to work, they go on dates, they, you know, teach school, they go home, they have chores. And yet when you start to see it differently through this interchange of that can be love and regard and real care and teamwork and support, um, that's. That is already happening it's already happening it's just so misunderstood and then we react to that and we and it's a downward spiral and when you start seeing it it becomes an upward spiral and that's really what's happening in the book is getting to see the upward spiral of that healing and change in point of view and and courage they're all they're a lot of courage happening which is really what's required if we're going to have extraordinary relationships
0: and and that feeling that feeling of these of these individuals in the book experiencing experiencing that courage in a very realistic way like i could put myself into the shoes of and and uh, you know we'll say who all these people are you know because a lot of names are coming but you know, for example, who like Jack and Raoul and Bert and to and Mike. You know the the male character mm-hmm. books and and the, the four male characters and to to and Scar and Scott as well. Um, and don't worry, we'll we'll mm-hmm. we'll help orient listeners a second <laughs> who we're talking about. You know, these are fictional characters, but to put myself into their shoes and to have been in their situations and and to read these. And to be like, oh, wow, that's exactly what I was feeling or that's what I have felt or that's what I would like to feel someday. And then to feel them step Mm -hmm. into their own courage and, you know, Mm -hmm. to be. And I think what you say is very right about fiction, because I wasn't in the hot seat. I was invited into a world where I got to watch interhuman and interpersonal dynamics and relationships and to put myself into the shoes of these male characters or even to be a fly on the wall and to watch the women of the book choose and change mm. the way that they related to men just gave me a, a set of feelings that i'm only i guess just in this moment learning how to put words to which was like it was a feeling it was a feeling of hope and possibility because i think so much mm. of how so much of the of the future of the world is needs to be not just imagined and thought but spoken into reality and when i read the book you know i i saw words speaking a possibility of of men and women relating to each other speaking that into reality in a way that just nebulous feelings within myself wouldn't have quite um been able to manifest alone but to read to read those words and to go into that world was like it was very much like it can it can really be this way It like that <laughs> and and yes mm-hmm. yes it can <laughs> so,
3: it really can yeah. it really can there's nothing in that book that's far fetched I've witnessed it or been it yeah, every bit of it
0: yeah so who, who's Claudia and who is Kimberly and Karen and, and who, who are all there <laughs> help, help paint the picture
3: who are these people okay so um Claudia and her husband Bert, right, elderly couple, um late 70s, right? Mm-hmm. And uh been together for ages and and we find out, you know, in the beginning when Kimberly finds out that Claudia's the women in Claudia's family have been studying men for generations. And um, and used to share what they learned widely, but saw women hurting men with information being even more uh, more manipulative in a in a really terrible way. And so they had a, a covenant, um, which you hear about in, the, in Keys of the Kingdom. There's you know they had a covenant to only teach the women that they had raised, and that's what had prohibited Claudia from sharing information with her granddaughter. And that's Kimberly, is her granddaughter.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And but but you know, people read the keys, key, keys, keys, the kingdom. Know at the end of keys, the kingdom, she made a decision that if Kimberly asked, that she would she would keep the intent of that that vow and mm-hmm. um and teach her granddaughter. And and Kimberly asks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then so Kimberly's the granddaughter. She's she's single. She's you know a professional woman mm-hmm. and. Um, divorced, and bitter, and scared, and um, hiding her own shame. And uh, and then Karen um, is a, is the student Kimberly finds, and he's the kingdom at Bert's suggestion. And her husband, Mike, uh, has gone through what is known as a midlife crisis. And he's now, he's come out the other side and um and there's been a pause in karen studying with kimberly to i mean with claudia to understand what had been happening to her husband mike um and as he'd gone through the stages and now they're on the other side of it and it made such a difference to find out the stage of development but now they got new problems because they're trying to get pregnant Mm
5: -hmm. and it's
3: really screwing up their life so so to speak (laughs) and um yeah, <laughs> and, and and she's just like you know hoping, hoping, hoping. She knows Claudia is waiting for Kimberly because she doesn't want Karen to be alone because it's brutal to be alone with this knowledge. Yeah. um And that's how what it was like for me when I started studying men and I was horrified after I gave up the masculine men about what women did and to I had to create I had to create my own community of like-minded and like-hearted women and. Uh, so Claudia doesn't want that for Karen. She wants her to, to have someone to support her in seeing men so differently than our culture. And so she's holding out for Kimberly to show up, and Karen's just praying, Kimberly will please, 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 I need this. And and Mike is the same way. He's just like, oh, geez, I've turned into a sperm donor. Yes. <laughs> I lost my wife. Um and and then so you have these two couples, right? So Claudia and Bert. And Bert's what people would, you know, who know the prequel, right? We know he's an elder. And he's a he's a wood carver. And um and he's his own little magical munchkin, you know, himself. And so loves these women, his granddaughter and his wife, and even his daughter, who's absent. And um so Bert and Claudia, and then Karen and Mike, right? These two couples. And then you've got Kimberly, do you know who's uncoupled, except for maybe to her best friend, Melissa, who's <laughs> always hunting for a husband for her. Uh, even though Melissa really is pissed at her own husband. <laughs> and and then um, and Melissa really typifies normal you know hell hath no fury, like a woman scorned and and she feels scorned by her husband's relationship to his work and um and his devotion to their sons, but apparently not to her and she has no idea what she has to do with it mm-hmm. and um and then Raoul is Kimberly's boss, and through that, you get to experience women at work and what happens. The way that women treat men at work, and what happens when a woman transforms her relationship with men in the workplace, and how men respond to that, including her boss and all the men that she manages, and um, and then the, the the fourth man is Jack, and Jack is <laughs> Jack is Royal's best friend. They've known each other for ages, and he's single and incredibly successful, and treated mostly like a checkbook by women and and resents that and is lonely and wants to share his life with somebody. And, but no one would ever think that because, you know, it seems like he's got it all and he's treated like most women treat successful men um, as unfeeling, as uncaring, as you can get all the sex you want and that's probably all you're after. And let me see what I can get you to pay for while I eke out the sex I'm willing to give <laughs> and, yeah. and he's just he's just really um he's just really bummed you know he's just really bummed because it looks like he has it all including the the dream car and and but he has no one to share it with and he and he wants to and being in his head is is really I think it's a I think it's a good ride at Disneyland for people, you know, to be in his head. And, you know, I've worked with and talked to and listened to so many successful men. And um, you know, and so Jack represents them well. And uh in his perception of Kimberly, getting to see Kimberly through Jack's eyes, through row of ice you know, Bert's eyes, even Mike's eyes, to get to see her since she's like, you know, probably takes up much of the, with the word real estate, it's really, you know, she is the frog farmer that's being transformed. And um, to see who through all these other people's eyes um, and all these dimensions to this woman that she's clueless about are part of who she really is. And they see her, but she doesn't see herself, which isn't normal, mm-hmm. and uh, and to watch her transformation, and and her, her how her interactions with Jack transform, you know, because she despises him, <laughs> and he provokes her on purpose, <laughs> and because um, he kind of can't resist, you know, and he's and he wishes, you know, that she that she had accepted his overtures and differently from the beginning, but since she didn't, um, he's really playing out that thing that you see in, in boys, in, in young boys and putting the ponytail, <laughs> the pony, <laughs> putting the tip of the braid in the inkwell, right? Like a classic Rockwell, <laughs> you know, that, that for boys, uh, Mad attention is better than no attention. Mm-hmm. you know, really kicking a girl off is is better than being ignored by her because because her attention her attention is life, even if it's on fire, <laughs> rather than that kind contentment, um, her noticing and her attention is is life force uh, being directed at him, and so, you know. So he, 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 it provokes her just because her reaction is, a, is just a, a hit of of feminine female life force.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
3: better than men.
0: And I think what's so powerful about the book is that it shows the transformation that really all eight people, men and women, at different stages of their lives go through as a result of this information. And and I don't I don't know that I would have been able to articulate that until now. I, I just remember reading the book and getting this this feeling of warmth and and knowing that the burden of responsibility, let's say, or the balance of responsibility, didn't fall as it does in and many books about men and women. Oh, it, it falls all on the men to be better. And there's a tendency within the men's movement, you know, or people in general, let's just say, for, for men to be like, oh, men, you have to be better and that'll make everything better. And then there's also a tendency for men to say, oh, no, women need to be better and that'll make everything better. And, and what, I, what I loved about this book is that it showed that there's equal amounts of transformation that's available to both men and women. And these are the ways that you mm-hmm. both can, can make a start. And, and as a woman writer, for you writing for a, a woman's audience, to be able to, or an audience of women, to be able to say, Here's one way or some ways that you as women can begin thinking about men and the way that you relate to them very differently to start the process. Because the process has to start somewhere and it starts with each of us, Mm -hmm. all of us and each of us. But for you in particular, as a woman writing for uh, an audience of women to say, you women readers can start this process and here's how that might look. And to be invited into that process and to see the way really that Claudia and Karen and and, uh, and Kimberly, you know, all begin this process of transformation. And then what it does to the men and what the men's transformation does back to the women mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. incredibly powerful. And then, and by the end, it's like, no, this is real. This is real. This is not a fan. Mm-hmm. This is not, this is, this is not on another planet. These are real human beings in real human being situations doing completely comprehensible things that are accessible to anybody that make an enormous difference. And when I was reading the book and when I, when um, you know the, the instruction came for women to, to, to lay down their swords and stop emasculating men, or at least to notice when they emasculate men, I felt inside my body the infinite, the countless number of times that, that had happened to me and what the effect on me was. And I imagined myself in an environment with, with a woman who I hadn't yet met Who was Mm -hmm. not committed to emasculating me, if only unconsciously and silently in her own mind, to be around a woman who was accepting and saw me as, yes, I do have a good reason for the things that I do. I think about why I do what I do. And not to be, and to be given that benefit of the doubt, my whole body just relaxed. And I felt that I could Mm -hmm. relate to this imaginary woman. And that's when I realized that you had really tapped into some magic about what it means to be a man, too. I guess, as you say, unintentionally, like you didn't, you didn't set out to, to redefine the way that men related to themselves. But I can say that for me, and I've read a lot of books in this world, you, you definitely contributed to that. And so to be invited into that whole process for my own transformation, was just a remarkable thing. And to see that it's possible for women as well, because I guess you primarily work with women. It's, it's, it's just a miracle for me.
3: mm. mm. Oh, gosh, so many things I would say from that. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to let your next question direct it instead of all the things that had me think of.
0: (laughs) Okay. Would you like me to offer that question now?
3: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see where you want to go. Because I love what you said. And you know the accuracy person in me wants to say we really just ask women to give up the right to emasculate men mm-hmm. because because it's such an it's such an instinctual response it's a it's fear and frustration that has us do it and that we're clueless <laughs> ignorance fear and frustration and it's very hard to not do it until. It becomes easy to not do, right? But the, the more you see men, the easier it is to not. And the more alternatives you have, the easier it is to not. But if we just start with ending the idea that you deserve it, I'm justified in doing it because you misbehaved.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But what if you didn't misbehave? If you didn't misbehave, if you weren't knowing the right thing and intentionally doing something else, if you actually didn't misbehave, you were. You were coming from a different point of view and doing the best you could.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. Well, then you don't deserve to be punished. So I don't get to justify punishing you just because it wasn't what I thought should happen. Mm -hmm. You you weren't misbehaving. So I don't, and you have such good intentions. So maybe trying to limit your power is a way to cut myself off from the benefits of your power. That that's silly. <laughs> Weakening you <laughs> means I have to carry more of the load. And 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 that's often the the logical linchpin for many women. They can see that they are completely worn out because they keep the men around them so weak and uninform, uninformed that they can't be partners. And they're just exhausted and sad and lonely and and like okay it something clicks and they can see caused this thing that I'm complaining about wow Mm -hmm.
0: Do do you think I mean you've you've seen this you know by the thousands all over the world of women waking up to this inner reality and you know one of the things that that You said to me uh, in one of our conversations is that um, women have been uh, taught to believe that they need to be independent from men, but men, men have never tried to be independent from women and are not trying to be. And yet women still seem to have this idea that they must be independent from us and It creates such fatigue in the women, as it sounds like you're articulating, and it creates fatigue in the men as well, and also in children. And so women have this notion of their own independence as as a must, as like a survival need. And and I think that there are more and more women waking up today to just the the pain that that's caused them, that that's caused their families and and the exhaustion, and, and I see it. And and maybe you can articulate you know some of the things that you've been seeing in that over the twenty years of your work because certainly and I want to get into this later it's starting to show up in the public now and I I don't know I do want to bring this up later but I don't know if you know the name uh, Kevin Samuels. does that name sound familiar (laughs) No
3: I don't know if you know this about me well but um, last um. September. Uh I had to ask somebody who was the can the Democratic candidate for vice president.
4: Good. Okay. (laughs) That's better.
5: Okay.
3: Okay. Okay. So ostrich. Think ostrich. Right. Totally. I all I really work on is is this. Right, transforming the way men and women relate to themselves and each other, which includes how men relate to men, right? All I work on is that and the possibility of partnership between us and, um, and, you know, get on my tractor and try to do something with three and a half acres of mud. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that, that, that's my life. And, and I'm consciously shield myself from so many things that are outside of that that I that I can't affect I want all my energy to go into something I can affect and that is my job right Mm -hmm. and so all these people that you know so well and are included in the renaissance of men and whose genius you're going to make available to the world and I love 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 that (laughs) I I think you've maybe (laughs) I do I do thank you thank you I maybe, I think I've known
5: one name in all the names you've ever said to me. I, I recognize the one. Okay. And um, and to the thing you were saying, you know, you were the one that, that God, it just sat in my heart, but I understand it, who told me
3: about there is a, a fraction, a, a portion of the men's movement that is trying to not need women that really wants to get over that and, and that I can't condemn that. I would understand entirely why, of course you'd want to not need somebody who did what women do to men Mm -hmm. and, and women want to not need the people that they perceive are doing horrible things to women
4: Mm
3: -hmm. and, and don't know that it's such a small fraction of men that's responsible for it. Right, that right? it's yeah, there are there are bad women and there are bad men, like truly evil. But for the most part, no, we're we're just people compelled by instincts that you know we don't understand, and we're going to talk about. But, but ah. Oh. Yeah. So, so no, I don't know whoever you're probably going to ask me if I know. So you should just tell me what you want.
0: Well, I I, I had to ask because Kevin Samuel, <laughs> he's, he's become a, a YouTube um sensation lately, a real, a real star because, and, and his whole thing is he has women call in to him and he um explains to them in gentle, but very firm language, except for when they start coming after him. And then, and then the, his tone gets his his tone hardens a bit exactly why it is that they're going towards a life of, of loneliness, why they, they mm-hmm. have no idea what men want and that men don't care about your PhDs. He talks primarily about high value men. So men like Jack in the book, you know, why that, why Jack does not care about Kimberly's PhD or her, or her paycheck that, that's, that doesn't mean anything to him. That what Jack wants is is partnership and love and uh, and connection and uh, and nurturing in a sense, nourishing I guess is probably a better word. And that the very mm. quality, the very qualities that women have been taught uh, for the past sixty, perhaps more years, to cultivate in themselves are the same qualities that are making them exhausted and will lead them to lives of being of being single because they have no idea uh, how to pro- how to provide for a man or how to let a man provide for them. And so we'll get into maybe Kevin a bit later, but, you know, as you were, as you were saying, you know, the the transformation, I I was curious about the transformation that you've seen in women surfacing this material to them over the past 20 years, because until, uh, until I read your book or until I I was started thinking about it, I, I wouldn't have believed that that was possible. In part because I was just kind of digging up my own um, my own wounds from having been on the the battlefield of of love and romance, uh, you know, and, and being a very agreeable man, as as Jordan Peterson would say, and and having to discover, you know, my own ability to you know to I guess spit fire and stand up for myself. But you know, having having been trying everything that I possibly could to be a good man and to still be being emasculated and to be recovering from that. And to know that the problem didn't actually lie with me, the problem laid with, uh, in many ways, with my partners and the ways that they related to me that had nothing to do with me. It's like, okay, I'm I'm on the receiving end of something here that has nothing to do with me. And then seeing that from a societal level, and then reading your books was like, oh, here's here's not just the books because I was aware that you also had courses and and uh, and classes and seminars and stuff to help lead women through it. And so you've actually seen the transformation firsthand with your own eyes, in fact, let it yourself of the, uh, the renaissance of women, as I call it, and and the great reconciliation in, in many ways, like you've lived this for 20 years. And so I was wondering if, mm. if you could speak some more about the things that you've seen, because I think they reflect a vision of paradise that maybe people might have a hard time believing, but that I know is real.
3: Mm. Um. Okay. Wow. All right. So what you called paradise, I call heaven on earth. Pretty good. And, um, yeah. And that's, uh, that's my purpose. And it, and it's been my purpose forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and consciously I would say in this lifetime, since I was a teenager, I've been aware of it. Mm-hmm. and and the the sense of how how it could be this real feel that I have in my body of what is possible um with humanity and and the the beauty of of human spirit right and but then the reality of we 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 do, we actually have two nervous systems,
4: right? Mm.
3: And um and we have and we have the limbic part of our brain, you know, the lizard part of our brain, and we have the you know prefrontal cortex where there's consciousness and awareness and and real choice and and that you know the limbic part is always at least. A split second in front of the conscious choice and so until we're aware of our our primitive compulsions and can have the moment of awareness i'm about to do something that's really gonna <laughs> not gonna do anything good right um and be able to see it and know this isn't because there's something wrong with me it's because i'm human and i can override it and what are my possibilities for, for overriding, right? Mm -hmm. And having those in the first place, those people don't even know they, they don't know they have the instincts and they don't have possibilities for overriding. They just are mad at themselves. Why did I do that again? Why did I do that again? I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that again, right? Um, So part of this, how come I'm bringing it up is because you talked about women and independence and that this really isn't like isolated by gender. It's more of a spiral Hmm. because, because as many fathers have taught their daughters to be independent as mothers have. And because as our society changed, as marriage stopped being a protective institution, Right when, when the dissolution of marriages became okay, became common, became something that would happen just because people are unhappy, not because someone was beating somebody else up, which, as you know, women do to men as well. Like that, it it, it didn't have to be an extreme circumstance that dissolved a marriage. People could just like not like each other anymore, right? (laughs) Or be unhappy with another person, or found somebody else they thought they'd be happy with. And so it stopped being this this thing that people could survive by having, right? Like I'm I'm married and we're going to survive, we're going to do better together. As it started falling apart and women came to realize they couldn't count on it. It's like men realizing they couldn't count on corporations anymore. Mm -hmm. You don't sign up for 30 years and end up with a retirement fund, right? So it's, you know, what... What business and economies have done to men's sense of security, the fragility of marriage did to women. Mm -hmm. And so, so how a man used to protect his daughter is found her a good husband. Well, when even good husbands, you know, I thought I got you a good husband, but he went away and. Why did you chase him away? Right, he might he might be upset. You know what she did that had him leave, right? Or he's a jerk that he left you, or whatever his reaction is. Still, it it caught on that as a as a man, how you protect your daughters is you is you teach her how to take care of herself. Yeah. And you know, I installed it. A new carburetor in my car with my father when I was 18 years old, right? Um, so, so as many men taught women to be independent as women did, right? And then, and then women, of course, did it with this vengeance and this kind of because they're reacting, right? Caught between the generations, like my mother, right? Um, thought she'd done the thing to make her life safe of marrying. A man from an affluent family, and then ended up not safe that in that way, right? And mad, and not having the dream life she thought she was going to have, and so then wanting to be independent, right? And get a job and support herself, and not need a man. But her own self worth, you know, you're nothing if you don't have a man, right? So her communication to me was. It's very common that, you know, to, to be a whole woman, right. You have to have a man, but don't need him. (laughs) Acquire one (laughs) that, that makes you look good and has you be better off, especially economically, uh, preferably also in your status in the community. Um, But but don't ever show a weakness that you need him for something. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and then and then you add in the 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 part of being a protector. Um, part of being a protector is is vetoing threats. Just <laughs> instead of just say no to drugs, it's just say no to anything that's a threat. Just right. say no. Mm-hmm. And. And, and women accepted being vetoed because they thought he got to say no because he made the money. And so she wanted to make the money. So she couldn't be said no to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Not knowing that it wasn't about money. It was about he held himself accountable for protecting everything about this family. And one of his best tools is no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, but she, experiences that as I'm a lesser citizen, why don't I get a vote? Well when the house is on fire, you don't have a committee meeting.
1: <laughs> it's not about making people feel included in the
0: process.
5: Exactly.
3: Which to a man is just obvious, right? right? Um it's an obvious no. Why should we have to discuss it? And so all these very human procreate them, protect them provide instincts. Um You know, one of the biggest provide ones is, is we project on other people what we need and then we provide it for them. (laughs) Like I was telling you about Dan's birthday, right? I Mm -hmm. caught myself deciding (laughs) what he needed and giving him things that, you know, I was sure would make his life better
5: and neglecting to ask the question, (laughs) what do you want for your birthday?
0: (laughs) Amazing. We'll do that.
5: This classic human behavior.
3: Um, and so all these things that we do that we don't know what, why we do them and we think they're obvious to do, and they end up communicating so much disregard and disrespect to another human being, and we don't know that they are, and we're doing this to each other. And and so like independence, a classic independence thing is is that, you know, at a certain stage in, in, of being in a relationship, you now have a right to input in my life (laughs) until that stage. You, you don't Mm -hmm. have any rights. And, and that causes so much mischief. I don't know if we talked about this before that, that, that when a woman is being independent, right. And then she just announces, you know, I sold my house. Really? I didn't, I didn't know your questions were saying, I didn't know you wanted to say what what? Right? And then he's thinking, if we
5: were married, would we she do stuff like that? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh dear. And then his conclusion's gonna be, Oh, she's too independent.
3: Yeah. Um, and I actually have to coach women to if you're dating, if you're seeing a man Ask this, you know, I want to share something with you about my life and see if you have input. Don't ask for his opinion. That means you're going to take accountability. Just ask for, you know, if you have anything you think I should think about or considering while I'm making this decision about my life. Um, Think about selling my house. (laughs) Oh, wow. How come you want to do that? And then you can have this really great conversation. And, okay, good. We we talk about things before they happen. Mm -hmm. This could work, right? And women who've been accused of being independent over and over again, they're stunned that they're accused of that, hmm. and they and they think men are ridiculous, and they think men want to control everything. And you no, know, men they really just they really just want to be considered. They want to be regarded. They want they, they know stuff.
5: They could make your life better. Am I? Is it always going to be like this? She's just going to go
3: off and do stuff like that. That's, I can't do that. So, men have a much better sense of interdependence than than women do. Men are women tend to go dependent or independent. Yep. There's no middle ground.
0: What I, how I usually phrase it is, because um, I'd heard similar ideas, and and the place that I really see men and women that I want them to get to is to a place of inter of interdependence. You know where we have to progress through those life stages, where this is sort of some of the nature of my own coaching that I try to do with men that I that I get them to to see in their pursuit of purpose is that you become interdependent in a community of men and begin to contribute to the community once you have discovered your purpose and when you become I say I would think I would say masterful at your purpose and to some degree at least that you begin to recognize that the pursuit of your own purpose as a man naturally interlocks with other men on their purpose. And that's where a community comes from. And in in that interdependence, you're not necessarily dependent on the person because to get to interdependence, you've gone from the stage of dependence to independence, and then your independence can can contribute to something larger. And that larger thing is interdependence. And so when I, when I talk to women and some men about how I envision men's and women's relationships going forward into the future in fact, just with the conversation that I had uh, the other day with a, a man who um, I was considering hiring him for a, a specific job, and he was saying, "Well, you know, I've looked over your materials and I'm not sure if I politically align with with what you're doing, but I have some questions. I have some questions for you. I'm like, okay sure i'm I'm down to answer questions for as long as you need because I enjoy doing it, and, and because I think it's important for me to surface what the Renaissance of men is really about to anyone who asks to what extent they're, to whatever extent they're willing to ask. And I had to explain to him during the course of that conversation, like, no, what I want and what I think the majority of men and the men's movement want is not to return to the 1950s or to the 1850s or the 1750s or any 50s. We would mm. like forward mm-hmm. to a new mode of relating between men and women because I think, and he did actually give me a good a good bit of, uh, of input at the end, is I think that there have been some good things that have come out of, of feminism. And I think what that has made possible is a form of authentic partnership that may never have been possible before in human history. Warren Farrell talks about this in uh, the myth of male power that uh, particularly around the divorce issue, which you mentioned, which is that, you know, things really began to shift in the 1960s with the pill and with, you know, just, I guess, no fault divorce, if that's what it's called, where you could just like leave somebody if you, if you weren't digging them anymore. And so ma- marriage went from being a propagate the species kind of proposition to a fulfillment proposition and if your partner is not fulfilling you yeah you can just leave and try again so that creates this these rippling effects in society but in that in that in that liberation has come the need of of like well maybe women need to begin circling back to men because they've discovered in many ways that the pursuit of this path is kind of a dead end and uh, and i think men are starting to realize themselves that, hey, maybe we haven't done such a great job as well. Maybe we need to up our game. And then so men and women are slowly finding their ways forward, which happen to lead back to each other. And so that's the renaissance of men, the renaissance of women, and the great reconciliation. But in the great reconciliation is a new mode of relating between men and women that I, I don't know that it's ever been possible before. Because it can only exist in, a, in an environment of prosperity like we, have, like we have now when you're fighting for survival. You know, Again, when the house is on fire, there's no committee meetings. You know what I mean? And when, you're, when you have to hunt and when you have to gather and you have to fight against nature even to survive, there's not enough time for committee. And I think you know, we do live at a comfortable age, but we also do live in a, in a generally prosperous age. And that's allowing men and women to see themselves and each other for the first time. And that's creating all kinds of remarkable possibilities if we can just step bravely into that future and learn new ways of seeing each other with the information that we have at hand.
3: <laughs> Since I agree with everything you said, can I take it from there?
0: You can take it from there. Yeah.
3: Um, so the way that I would say it is that um, until you see each other as, as both contributing, Right. And not provider independent. Mm-hmm. You can't be partners.
4: Yeah.
3: Right. And that the dependency of women on men to be protected and provided for, right? The ancient dependency on that, a lot due to physical size and the dependency on men by men for women for sex, right? So that, that dependency causes an an adversarial relationship. When I need something from you that I don't have the power to make you give it to me, (laughs) and I don't think you're willing to give it to me already. Now, now I've got to figure out how to manipulate you. And I have to strategize and manipulate to get what I need. And so Women manipulate have in the past manipulated for security, and women, and men have manipulated for sex. And so, what did we do? We changed, we exchanged sex for security. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it, 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 that was the way that we dealt with it. But we're still adversaries in a kind of detente, right? In in households all over the world, and and so the the independence. I believe, you know, is, has been required to shift the paradigm. Mm-hmm. But the problem is how I've identified it in, I mean, it's in 30 years since I started studying men. Right. And, and not long after started 30. Yeah. 1991. Um, and I started teaching women immediately mm-hmm. <laughs> after I gave up emasculating men. man. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have to find out who these people are. You just <laughs> stop hurting them and they're amazing. <laughs> right. And, um, so it. but the thing that I've seen is that while we have the possibility, what you would call interdependence, I, I call partnership, right. Where, which means on the same side or team. Right. Um, and that, While we have that possibility, the the independence, the equality of the ability to support ourselves economically, right? Um, Physically defending ourselves, they're, you know, guns and mixed martial arts, right? There's this equality now of safety and absolutely prosperity has everything to do with it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, because when the house is on fire, what is called upon is mostly what men have
4: mm-hmm.
3: right that so in in an impoverished state what men do is what's valued and what women contribute is often devalued and this is one of the big like upsets of women involved in the development of third world countries it really really kicked off at how much women contribute and yet how much it isn't regarded right
4: mm-hmm.
3: but in 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 first world societies here's this possibility of being equal of being partners of being interdependent and as far as i can tell because i've yet to find one uh every single human instinct pulls in the opposite direction of partnership and every single thing that creates partnership is a victory of human spirit is a conscious choice, Mm -hmm. is an ability to actually see your own compulsions and not act upon them, Mm -hmm. see your own compulsions and go, oh, okay, that will send me down that road (laughs) into the sewer. Um, So let's not do that. (laughs) Instead of deciding what he should have for his birthday, let's ask. And I think I picked out some really good things, so let's give him that too. <laughs> and I have. We've been celebrating his birthday now. And and I did really well, and he's really touched. But we're also giving him what he asked for, right? Yeah. That's respect. So it's, you know, I've identified 14, we call them the elements of partnership, that are re- required to work this out together, that interdependency, and have it be brilliant and have it... Be paradise. Have it be seriously heaven on earth. It it can happen, but the problem is, is they're all opposites of human instincts. They all have to fly in the face of human instincts. They all require courage, and and the the worst thing will in attempting to teach people these things now. For I think we started in two thousand and nine, um, is that they all it's it's that's holographic they all have to happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) every single every little bit of every single one makes a difference Mm -hmm. and they're all necessary
0: can you list some of them
3: yes i can and um and they're fun in groupings they're really fun in 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 groupings so um like one for example is um, what we would call <clears throat> clarity, consistency, and appreciation. Mm-hmm. And and so it's and clarity is king, right? <laughs> so being clear about who you are what you call your purpose, right? Until you're independent and clear about your purpose independently. So being clear about who you are, what you're up to, what do you need, right? To, to be that. And then, and then consistency, which one of the biggest problems is people saying they need one thing that, and they're even clear about it. But then their actions are not congruent they 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 forget they ask, they change, and they don't follow up. They change their mind the next day, and they don't acknowledge, "I'm sorry if you spent energy on this already, I got new no information, and I've changed my mind." Um, so people learn to not believe them. they learn to not act on what they say because they're not consistent. They don't get enough clarity nice. to figure out, yes, I'm really committed to this and then and then appreciation. Um, what most people don't know is is that people respond to what you could call the marketplace of appreciation, <laughs> and that you may ask for one thing, but if you appreciate something else, if what you appreciate isn't consistent with the clarity about what you asked, then people learn to disregard what you say, and they just do what you make a big deal out of.
0: Can you, can you give me an example of that, please?
3: Um, <laughs> uh, someone who makes a really big deal about having something given to them like I need that sales report by 9am mm-hmm. and it's on their desk at 8.55 and they look at it and they go why did you use this font? <laughs> why did you organize this information this way? Got it. You know, go back to work. Th- this should be like this and that should be like that. And here's this person who busted their butt to get it there five minutes early because that's what the person said. I have to have this by 9 a.m. Okay, well, then they show up and they didn't care that it didn't even notice. They didn't acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Wow, you did what I asked. You did it even early. Thank you so much. Oops, my bad. I didn't tell you I hate Helvetica. It makes my eyes go funny. (laughs) Could you reprint this in Trebuchet on us? Right? We don't own what we weren't clear about that then caused their results, mm-hmm. right? Like we're inconsistent with our own clarity or lack of clarity. And then, I mean, women do this all the time. <laughs> those, those poor guys. I'm so sorry, you guys. Hmm. I'm so sorry. We First of all, you ask us, what do you want for your birthday? And you must not have been paying attention to have to ask. <laughs> so but if you do have the courage to ask and we are smart enough to tell you what we want then you go and you get it and you're like here's your birthday present but you didn't wrap it (laughs) (laughs) oh the wrapping matters more than the present and then you show up with a present that's wrapped and we say where's the card Uh, how can I win here? I got her, I asked her what she wanted. I gave her what she wanted. I even wrapped the effing thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where's the card? Right? And so then she, you're like, you know, this is rare, but a man might be like, okay, I am going to nail this this time, right? And he gets the present, and he gets it wrapped, and he gets a card, and he puts it by her bedside table because he has to go to work early, and so she gets to wake up, you know, and he thinks he's going to score a thousand points, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't hear anything about it all day, and he comes home from work, and it's still sitting there. Mm -hmm. And he's like, why didn't you open it? And she says,
5: because well, you weren't here to watch
4: me, mm.
5: <laughs> and then the man logically says, "I already know what it is <laughs> yeah. and that's what I mean by like it just that the, there is, if there isn't consistency in what we ask for that we're really
3: committed to it, we're not just fishing, and if there isn't consistency between what we ask for and what we appreciate um. The communication is so mixed, and since appreciation gives us energy, it returns the energy back to us that we spent on that dang thing. We're always going to play to the appreciation, and always. That... <laughs> Go ahead.
0: Oh no, I'm just I'm just sitting with that example because, like, I, I'm I'm the guy that does the you know the present that I thought about and the wrapping and the card and like does all things that's <laughs> good for me. You know, like, like it's, it's a fun process Uh for me to think my way through it and find the answer. And the times, the times that I've done that where, where it's like the amount of effort that went into this present was, was enormous, you know, (laughs) because I care, Mm -hmm. because I care. And, and that it was, and, and that it was received in a way that it was, that it was like deep, like did you not just see what happened like, you know, and the, the appreciation mm-hmm. wasn't there and how starved I've been for appreciation that way. Like it just really, it really lands for me. And of course, I think probably everyone can relate to, you know, giving something to the boss that demands the thing on time and you give it to them and they nitpick on some little detail and it's like, what the hell is going on here? And, and so to be really starved for, for appreciation, particularly, particularly as a man has been very difficult and how much that meant, for example, to my dad, when I showed appreciation to him um, a couple months back, we went, to, we went to brunch and I just, I really thanked him for all the sacrifices that he made for me and, and for, for my family or for me in, in particular so that I could go to a good school, the late nights working, the, the times that he wasn't able to be there. To really appreciate his own sacrifice on my behalf and, and how much he, mm-hmm. he gave up of himself to, to do that, to do all those things in ways mm-hmm. that I wouldn't even see. And you know, my dad got he got teary eyed. Like it really, it really, yeah. it really landed for him. And I think in that moment, I, I, it really proved for me just how vital appreciation is for men, especially. Probably for women as well, but being a man in particular, I know that that's something that I'm very sensitive about. It's like appreciation goes a thousand miles for me, and it's so simple just to think through and and say a genuine thank you for for the gift, whatever the gift happens to be. And so, yes, I can see now what mm-hmm. you mean about how important um, I think clarity and consistency and appreciation are in terms of just humans relating to begin with, but particularly men and women.
3: Yes, and I mean, I could I could talk for hours on it. <laughs> but women are like, well, he used to do this, but he doesn't anymore. Did you appreciate it? Mm. What do you mean? <laughs> anything you appreciate you get more of anything you don't appreciate you don't get more of and you don't get it again yeah. and actually there's an audio on our site called the appreciation equation because you can actually predict human behavior through appreciation and but consistent with what you're up to in the renaissance man in the renaissance of men can i tell you what's before it yes you can um thank you. so the the element that comes before all the other elements of partnership is what we call space. Mm-hmm. And because without space, you can't have clarity. and And by space, we mean physical space and mental space and emotional space and spiritual space and even etherical space, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that the easiest way to see space is that, is how human beings are profoundly affected by physical space, and that we consciously and often unconsciously move to a physical space that will allow for a mental space. Like, if we want to focus, we tend to go to smaller spaces, if we want to be creative, we tend to go to more expansive spaces.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Right, And the thing that I said to you before we started recording, I'll be interested to see what you do to your physical space when you get home, given how much you will have transformed by the time you get there. How's that <laughs> going to show up in your physical space?
4: <laughs> well, my as
3: a ref- yeah. Yeah. As a reflection of, and as a support of your new mental and emotional spaces, how are you going to alter your physical space? And we can alter our mental capacities just by shifting a physical space right we can alter our emotional capacities by a physical space and the most un like paid attention to kind of space is temporal if you want to keep it to all the old right physical mental emotional spiritual etherical temporal which is another word for time and human beings and human behavior and especially um I was going to say, especially especially women, but men as as much as women, time, space, and the perception of time, space, has a profound effect on human behavior. And when a woman has, when she perceives that she has plenty of time, mentally and emotionally, she's a different person, and Mm -hmm. physically, she moves differently. Hmm. Trying to demonstrate and understanding women that you can tell a woman's mental and emotional state by how she's moving physically, mm-hmm. and and that and it it literally her sense of time will determine whether she is focused and abrupt and demanding. <laughs> That's when she thinks she has not enough time. She's on a dead line. <laughs> um, which we actually have very few in our lives anymore, honest to goodness deadlines, you will die, right? But we act like we're gonna die if we don't, I don't know, produce something by a certain time. And and when she has a sense of having plenty of time, oh I have plenty of time. Then she's open and connective and kind and gracious and and nurturing and all those things that nourishing as you say that people need she can be naturally when she feels like she has plenty of time. And and one comment, one look, one one just like (laughs) sneer or eye roll or tapping of the foot, and she switches from one person to the other. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, coached women who, as you were talking about, right, that what they're doing to be successful professionally is just, um, it's exhausting them, right? That there's so many things that minor shifts, like, okay, so instead of leaving for work or getting up at the last possible moment, um, get up earlier so you have a sense of plenty of time.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I mean, I most days, Will, I wake up Four hours before I have to be at work It's good idea. <laughs> at the least, I wake up two and a half hours before I have to be at work mm-hmm. and that right, and so my morning is is something else entirely different that it causes me to get to be the person I am at work right and and I get to do most of my job, although I do it very purposely and committedly. I get to do it in a way that has a lot of love and compassion and patience in it. And I, I cause that on purpose by my relationship to time and how I, I make sure I have plenty of time. So for, for in here in this conversation, the madness of men, if you're going to have clarity, you have to have space. And much of what clutters our space and has us not be able to see, like that cataract, right, Mm -hmm. Um, are things that need to need to be healed, Mm. right? Injuries that that we we need somebody to say, "I'm so sorry that happened to you," yeah, and that they're healed just with compassion, which is a lot what you experience in the Queen's Code, or huge 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 what takes up space what what is that cataract on our vision where we can't see who we are what our purpose is is shame yeah and good people feel shame when they think they've done something that harms people even when they think they've done something that harms themselves we experience shame and and we turn away from it and it affects what we think we deserve and it it Greg expressed it really well when we first started working on it. He said, "It, it shame disconnects you from your spirit.
4: Yeah.
3: And people so don't know who Greg is. He's my, my husband, right? He's now pure spirit. Um, but it, there's that experience. When we do something where we've betrayed our own values, our own essence, the shame that we feel is a disconnect. And then we can't have clarity about who we are can't have clarity about what we need to support us in being who we want to be. And, and so again, space, we, we require space and it could be physical space and time space that affects mental spaces and emotional spaces. And, and just like, if you look at how much time space you have taken in your life to to get clear about who you are and what you're up to in the conditions under which you're determined to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and have, you know, sometimes betrayed that and had to recover it and have to pay the price to carve it out. Do you know, but that process is the muscle, right. You have the tremendous muscle in causing yourself and recovering yourself. And, and a lot has to do with the you dedicated yourself to the time, space, and the emotional work, mental work to do it.
4: A thousand percent.
3: And, and to a thousand percent in and your support of men in doing that, from my point of view, the clearer men are about who you are, that your clarity about who you are, your boundaries, your your go, no-go zone, <laughs> that goes insanely, um, that causes us to feel safe. And that emotional feeling for a woman is being safe because of the certainty and the strength of the men who are around her. That gives us space to figure out who we are. To, instead of being reactive all the time, we actually have a mental, emotional space to go, wait, what's really important to me? Instead of instinct, 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 compelling us to do things that make everything worse.
0: Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying my interview with Alison Armstrong. I have some very exciting news. At the end of October in Orlando, Florida, I'll be speaking at the 21 Convention, the world's premier event for men and masculinity. I attended last year in 2020, and while much of the world was hiding at home due to covid Hundreds of men and women were gathering together to help advance the cause of masculinity, femininity, and families. Because the 21 Convention has evolved the past several years. What Anthony Dream Johnson, president of the Manosphere, started 15 years ago as a pickup conference, has expanded into the 21 Convention Patriarchs event, especially for husbands and fathers, as well as the 22 Convention for women. This year, I'm thrilled to announce that I'll be speaking at both the 21 Convention and the 22 Convention. At 21, I'll be talking to men about the power of shame in our lives and how vital it is for us to triumph over it, including my guidance for how to do just that. And at the 22 convention, I'll be speaking to women about the depths of men's minds and hearts, explaining to them how, in the words of Allison Armstrong, quote, men aren't just hairy versions of women. And I'll be joining a huge and expanding list of accomplished speakers, including Ian Smith of Attila's Gym in New Jersey, Jack Donovan, Pastor Michael Foster, Tanner Guzzi, Alexander Cortez. Dr. Sean T. Smith, Elliot Hulse, Socrates, Professor Janice Fiamengo, lawyer Melissa Isaac, YouTuber Jennifer Maleski, plus many more. Hopefully you'll recognize a few of those names as my previous guests. In the description, I've provided links to all of the 21 Summit events, or you can visit the21convention.org and enter the code RENOFMEN at checkout for 25% off any ticket price, including to the 22 Convention. I recommend the VIP tickets. Which include a five night on site stay in the hotel's lovely rooms, which I've personally seen, front of house reserved seating, an exclusive VIP only dinner with the speakers, and much more. At the dinner, you can meet me in person, along with eight members of my incredible Renaissance of Men team from around the country, and even one from the UK. Also, all tickets are Bring a Friend free. If it's the first time your friend has attended any of the conferences, they can come with you free of charge. The 21 convention is the center of the manosphere and the Manosphere is the leading edge of 40 years of the Renaissance. What President Anthony Dream Johnson has created matters, and what we're doing there matters, this year more than ever. I hope to see you there. Click the links in the description for each of the 21 events and enter the code RENOFMEN, that's R-E-N-O-F-M-E-N, like Renaissance of Men, but shorter, RENOFMEN, for 25% off any ticket. Prices will be going up very soon, so act now. Thanks so much, and let's get back to the podcast with Alison Armstrong. This is similar to um, the dynamic that I was struggling to figure out when I started the renaissance of men. Um, I just, I just was excited to see that men were cultivating, developing, becoming better versions of themselves and becoming better men. I was just excited to get into that world. And as I got further into that world, I discovered like, wait a minute, there's something going on here with women. And at first, I, didn't, but I was really, really surprised. And of course, I knew about your books at the time, but I, I, I hadn't seen it really manifesting in my world. But as I went further into this, you know, into the Renaissance of Men, I found that the Renaissance of Women was a very real thing. And I had this intuitive mm-hmm. sense that the two were linked somehow. It's like, well, how could these two things be linked? And the way that I uh, phrased it, I framed it to myself very, um, was very similar um, but I guess less nuanced than the way that you just phrased it was that men stepping up to be men, to be better men, means that women don't have to be men and women can be women. And the nuance mm-hmm. that, you've, and that men were creating by, by occupying their own space in a, in a very grounded and real way, we're creating space for women to, in, in effect, I uh, when I say fall into, I, I don't mean that in necessarily a negative way. It's sort of like a mm-hmm. gravitational attraction. It's like, oh, they're sort of falling into that space that men are are creating. And in that space of, you know, men being men uh, and rediscovering masculinity and women being women and rediscovering femininity. Like, well, I ran the numbers on that. <laughs> so they're like, well, what happens when you, when you, when you turn those two trends up to like 11, what happens? And that's where the the great reconciliation came from. It was like these two things these authentic, this authentic partnering interdependence can't help but happen because men and women are gravi- gravitationally attracted to each other. And maybe gravitational isn't even the right word for it. Um But I, I love how, I love how you art- articulate that. But I actually, I wanted to, um I, I had a question because in my experience, well, I, I can say that hasn't been my experience that me um, and, and in a very limited sense, because I haven't been at this for a, a super long time, but my experience with uh, with one, one woman in particular was very much not that where I was, I had stepped very clearly into my boundaries and who I was and, and what I was doing. And this woman that I was seeing seemed determined to try and, and, though she said otherwise, seemed determined to try and throw me off my game with everything that she had and pretend that she was doing otherwise, which is very difficult for me to parse. Like, wait a minute, what you're saying is that you really want to support me but what you're doing is you're you seem to be throwing everything at me that you have to get me to stop and to get me to break off from what I'm doing to to uh, do you know to sort of engage in this process with you. And so when you were saying that that that, that men doing this leads to women you know doing that uh, or doing some doing uh, responding in a certain way. I don't know that that's that's universal because I think it's possible that many women can be very challenged by men stepping up and pursuing their purpose and being the men that they are. And though they may want to fall into um, to into that man's world of him be- being who he is and feeling safe, that maybe there's some resistance there. And I wonder if that's another dynamic that you can speak to, or if it even exists, if I observed it correctly.
5: <laughs> um. <laughs> I, remember I love this question.
0: Okay. Go ahead. Well, I remember we were talking, we were talking once and you observed to me like, well, you know, you giggle, right? And I said, yes, I know I giggle. And so, I like, <laughs>
3: well, yes, you giggle, I giggle, you chuckle, I chuckle, so yeah. I, out, I just laugh. Um <laughs> yeah. And I think amusement at the human condition is a, a good approach because otherwise you this is you wanna cry. Yeah. Uh, so what I love about what you're saying is that they're both true, and they're true what makes them both true is you and I are talking in very different contexts.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So I'm talking in the context of of all men and all women. Oh, okay. And as as men take the space to have the clarity about who they are, and to sort out what they really need to be who they are, your strength creates space for us.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And what you experienced is being in a relationship where. How you were before you started getting clear about who you are worked much better for her.
4: <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> because who men are when you're not clear is you're malleable, what you <laughs> called agreeable. You're manipulatable, adaptable, malleable. We can we can do all kinds of shticks and shenanigans to get you to be more what we want.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And, and so you were, she liked you better before you started carving out room for yourself, taking a stand for yourself saying, I'm this, not that. She Mm -hmm. liked you better. The old way.
0: She would have. Yes. If she knew that version of me.
3: Yeah. So, so it's, this is why I think it matters so much that we take the time space, right, um, to get clear about who we are and what we require before we go out and try to find a match,
4: mhm, mm-hmm.
3: because otherwise we we can't represent ourselves truthfully until we know the truth of ourselves, and um I also giggled will because um as a result of my being single right for the last two years and interacting with singles really intensely and being in a relationship for the last nine months, um, so-called relationship, I would say, because
5: mm-hmm.
3: uh, they don't really exist. It, this thing people are trying to find doesn't actually exist. And, but the process of that, which has been a process um, that added up to a conversation with Dan, where uh, we were having a really hard week. And, and as we were trying to sort through it, he said... That sounds like an ultimatum. Mm. And and my reaction was twofold. It was, yes, I told you about it when I met you. (laughs) More more accurately, I told you about it before we ever met in person. Um, And then then I said, let me go do my release call with Lori, and then I'll come back after that. (laughs) And I went and did some work to let go of the crashing that had happened in my head when he said that. Oh, no, ultimatums are bad. You're not supposed to have ultimatums. It's a terrible thing. Oh, no. Oh, no. And after I cleared the space for myself mentally and emotionally, I could come back and say, Can we have a grown up conversation about ultimatums? He's like, Yes, please. (laughs) And, And I got to talk about. We all have them. We all have them. We all have them in every area of life is what it's been evolving over the last few weeks. I'm going to do a, a class about this in August. And, but we, <laughs> and I started telling him his ultimatums. I said, I've been learning yours since we met. Because if I can't give you what you need, I can't, I don't get to keep you. And if you don't give me what I need, you don't get to keep me.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And that old model of marriage will is if I marry you, I get to keep you whether I give you what you need or not. Yeah. (laughs) That's the old model, how to keep someone, marry them no, I want to be in a relationship where the, we're still together because we're still contributing to each other the qualities of being and living that we are committed to in our lives. Right. And when we stop being a fit for that, we stop contributing that to each other. Let's stop us. As painful as that might be, right? And so I've you know, been paying attention for months to Dan's ultimatums and, and, and I started naming them to him. <laughs> and I did it in a really brutal way, right? <laughs> if I stopped having sex with you, would we still be together? No. <laughs> if I if I demanded that you make me a higher priority than your children, would we be, still be together? No. <laughs> if I stopped being willing to explore edges, of sexuality that are uncomfortable for me, would we still be together? No.
5: <laughs> if I, if I wouldn't participate with you in
3: all the kinds of activities you like to do, you know, golfing and skiing and biking and all this stuff, would we still be together? And it was so cute. Cause you know, Dan, he looked at me like I was saying something unthinkable. <laughs> like like why would you do that? (laughs) And, and, but it was awesome because he saw it that yes, he has ultimatums and I've been learning them and I've been asking questions about them and I've been communicating with them and I'm checking myself, you know, can I give them to him and what do I need to give them to him happily, joyfully, even, even as a privilege to get to be the person who does that, you know, and, and, but you know, I've been at this for thirty years, right? And and so just paying attention and paying attention. Who is this man? And I love him and admire him and like him. And what does he need? And can I give it to him without sacrificing myself? And nine months in, when everything instinctually says we, sh- I should commit to him because I'm about to have a baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right. At 60 years old. But still the instincts are there. Sure. And it just, let's just go all in, right? The voice in my head, just go all in, just go all in. And then I look at everything I've written on the page that I need and what I have evidence for and what I don't have evidence for and what I haven't worked out. Can I be everything he needs? And we're still figuring it out. And and I don't let myself go all in. I hold I have to hold my own mental and emotional and physical space with the tension that my own girl human instincts are creating. Mm. And, and it's, you know, and it's been awesome because I've been distinguishing everybody has ultimatums and there's nothing wrong with it. But the problem is that human instincts cause us to present our ultimatums. And this goes back to where we started a long time ago. Well, we present our ultimatums when we think the other person is attached enough in some way that they will cave.
0: Mm, yeah, I was going to say there's a power and demand component involved to an ultimatum.
3: Yeah, and we don't present ultimatum until they have the least choice about it. Mm. And that's why people are pissed. Yeah. And whether it's an employer-employee, right, you know, or... uh parent that announces to their child you know after convincing them for 12 years to go to college yeah and i'll pay for it if it's a christian college (laughs) Mm -hmm. if it's a top five if it's a this right then i'll pay for it if it's that what (laughs) um it's old it's the news is too late and that the instincts have us conceal what we think will have us be rejected but The conscious smart play is reveal what you think will have you be rejected when you're more loyal to what's true about you than you care what they think about what's true about you. (laughs) Fly it early and often. These are my ultimatums. These are my my non-starters. What are your non-starters? Oops, this is a non-starter. Have a good life. (laughs) instead of, well, let's try to make it work until we're really attached to each other. Maybe have a baby together and we can break each other's heart and scrub each other's finances forever. (laughs) No! (laughs) So, so yes, as you're becoming clear about you, you're now someone who can represent that early and often and someone who doesn't want to support that, not just say it, but not do it. Don't go go away, you'll lose them when the losing them is just a minor oh bummer, she was cute <laughs> We really had a connection, oh well, it never would have worked out anyway. Glad we didn't try
0: <laughs> that's that's basically exactly what happened is things lasted about a month, and then I was like, oh, okay, well, that didn't work out, okay, bye, and it worked out that it didn't work it worked out that it didn't work out, let's say, but it was still going through mm-hmm. the process was like wait, what's, what's going on here? Like I'm, I'm showing up and being the the thing. And I, and I appreciate you highlighting the difference in context between, you know, I guess when we use the words men and women, there's a scale difference that there's the men and women at scale, like, you know, on mass millions worldwide or thousands or something like that versus men and women in one-on-one kind of relationship partnership. So I appreciate, I really appreciate your, your, uh, your accuracy, accuracy, in the conversation because it helps me focus some of the things that I'm saying as well. so in this particular case, you know, at the scale of one to one, like, yes, men and women or a man and a woman. I engaged in that process and didn't find that um, and didn't find that it worked out in quite the way that I expected, but, but you're right. Like that's a, uh, it was all, it was all very much um, for the best in, in the interaction and, and uh, the ultimatum, you know, the ultimatum component, like when, when, you know, and, I, and I've met Dan and I can almost imagine him, I can imagine him saying, like, That's when, a man. Like, when a man says that to another man, like there's an implied threat in there. Like if a man says to me, or if I were to say to a man, you know, that sounds like an ultimatum, like implicit behind that statement is, is some, there's some hint of violence somewhere. I can't quite say where, not necessarily mm. with a woman, but like if a man were to say like, well, that sounds like an ultimatum like it, like the, the implied statement is like, and and we're going to fight at some point, potentially depending on how this outcome, <laughs> goes, which means there's a component of power to that. And so, as you say, that like an ultimatum is delivered at the moment when someone is most likely to cave to it, you know, that there's, there's yeah. a power component, you know, right there, like, well, that's, that's intense. And I suppose it's probably a good thing that it showed up, you know, to in the degree that it did. Although I don't know that Dan would have necessarily meant it with you. I'd have to think about that, but it sounds like... <laughs> <laughs> a higher understanding
3: yeah there there wasn't there wasn't any threat in the conversation there's just a ton of respect no, and as we yeah and as we got through it what was on me right in the domain of clarity is that yes i told him about this ultimatum early on right healthy diet healthy diet and lifestyle consistently mm-hmm. But I never described what what that would look like. <laughs> what do I mean by healthy diet and and lifestyle, right? Uh, and so Dan did, right? So da- what Dan did was what would be normal to do is assume that I meant he needed to eat like me. <laughs> but I never enforced him eating like me. I would like buy groceries for him that are like him, not me. So that could be an inconsistency that would be confusing. Am I supposed to eat like you or not eat like you? <laughs> right. Right. right and And I'd even you know even delight in bringing him the things that he loved, right I'm, I'm a girl, I'm going to please him. but as we finally confronted, this is, in fact an ultimatum. I would rather be alone than be with someone who didn't. Have a healthy diet and lifestyle consistently, I really would I've been there and done that, and mm. I know what it does to me, and I can't afford it. I won't do it again, no matter how wonderful you are, how no matter how much I love you, no matter how great you are in bed, no matter like no, no, and no mm. and And so when we confronted that ultimatum, then we finally started talking about well what does it mean yeah. and and You'll love this. He was so cute. He said he looked at me as he's confronting the reality of this and he said, I have to eat Mexican food once a week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Respect. Respect then, for that. Respect. I get it.
5: Oh my gosh, it was it was awesome. And and I told the truth.
3: I'm like, well, you know, the girl in me. Could think that you just said Mexican food is more important in your life than I am.
0: <laughs> completely, completely,
5: <laughs> completely, right? Completely. And
0: oh god,
5: <laughs> we're gonna break up over Mexican food. Um, but it. it Die. But it was, I mean, you've seen us together, right? We're adorable together. Yeah, we like
3: each other so much, right? And, but it was awesome because what it led to, right? Cause I, yes, I have this ultimatum. I tried to get over it for months as his diet was declining. Mm-hmm. His lifestyle was terrifying me, right? I, I I tried to do it, right? And then I realized I couldn't do it. And that's what brought it all to head. And but now we're talking in terms of reality, we're talking of, in terms of implementation, and what does it actually look like? And so last week, I, I interviewed him about Mexican
0: food. Oh <laughs> this I, I gotta hear
3: <laughs> So I asked him, what is it about Mexican food?" And I was asking him about um, ingredients and flavors and textures and, and spices. and Specific foods, and <laughs> you know, and, and you know, I learned a lot about hard tacos and soft tacos.
0: And, <laughs> oh, so it's a really important <laughs> distinction. That's it is actually genuinely <laughs> important.
3: Yes, yes, and he likes both. He likes one of each. And um and I've witnessed him eating huevos rancheros for breakfast many times, and breakfast burritos. You know, he, lots of breakfast burritos, and and I'm just. I'm just seeking to understand this thing that he said because it clearly meant a lot, right, and it, it was so fun because what I had done and knew I'd already done because I pay a lot of attention to seasoning and how that what that creates right i you know, I think I've told you it's my my belief we're really after the antifungals and anti Antibacterials and antivirals and anti-inflammatories that are in seasoning, right? Mm-hmm. And when we get them, the food is, seems really good, like we the Indian food, right? Yes, we did talk about this. Yeah, because I made you some. And so, so I'd already gone and ordered a whole kit of of if you're gonna cook Mexican food, you have to have these seasonings. And and I had already gotten that for him for Christmas. I mean, for his birthday, and so I got to make him breakfast that um, it was Mexican breakfast, <laughs> yeah. but it was a Mexican breakfast I could eat right with my my special eggs and and goat jack cheese and adobo seasoning. And, and he loved it. He was such a happy camper having his Mexican food. Like, and we can get tortillas that.
4: <laughs> I had those tortillas. Oh they're good.
3: Yeah, yeah, they're really good. So it just, this thing about clarity and then this consistency. No, I really mean it leads to the conversations that may have you realize this can't be reconciled. So let's not torture each other or what a cool way to solve this together. And, and the thought that I had, well, I mean, I know we're talking about ordinary life stuff, which is, you know, where life shows up. Mm. But when you were talking about going through, going from dependency to independency, to get through interdependencies, in my, in my experience, Will, it's been, and it started in 1991, right? When I gave up stealing power from men, when I recognized I would never know my own, mm. and that yeah. power as a woman depends on power as a man, and power as a man depends on power as a woman, yeah. that it's not to get to interdependency, it's to recognize that we are. Uh-huh. That our attempts to <laughs> do something else are ridiculous and are only going to make us weaker than
4: we could be. I mean,
0: there's oh, there's so much that you said that is... Uh, is very meaningful to me. And, and thank you for sharing that story about you and Dan. And what really stands out to me is the, um, is the commitment uh, to communication, the commitment of uh, to mm-hmm. say that you, and I think you were saying this to each other um, and, and you especially were saying it to Dan is, is you mean enough to me to take this situation that we're both going through this conflict, this impasse, And to work through it and to make something better on the other side. And that's a very different approach than saying, you know, uh, you mean enough to me just to make it okay and make it go away, To Mm. to use it as a creative opportunity that actually ended up bringing the two of you closer where you both were able to meet each other's needs and create something that. To me, sounds like it would be very spe- a very special thing, or at least this is how it would show up. You know, in in a similar situation for me, that suddenly Mexican breakfast once a week would become an occasion. <laughs> you know, it's this <laughs> creative thing that would exist between me and my partner in a similar situation. That would become the bonding glue in the relationship that no one else in the world would probably share. Like on Monday mornings or whatever morning we make Mexican breakfast, <laughs> and you know, with special spices, and you and you put out, you know, uh, one soft taco and one hard taco. And that's- <laughs> did I get it
4: right? Yeah, it, you
3: you did, and it's, um, you know. That something that I think that empowered Dan and gave him some hope was for me to say, I'm not into deprivation, I'm into substitution mm. <laughs> and to know that everything he cares about in terms of food as as entertainment as pleasure as as nourishment to this is the minor issue um <laughs> is that I, I don't want to take any of it from him. I wanna find something that's more healthful because I I care about him and I care about him. He loves eating the way that I do because he has so much more energy. But what I learned is if he only eats the way I do when I cook, then I'm now accountable for his health. And that happened in my marriage. Oh, okay. And yeah. And and then you know and I got to a point where I wasn't willing to do it anymore. And so there's a part of me that, well, I killed Greg. You know, the unwillingness to cook all those meals that I used to cook for so many years, it was the death of him. And I know it wasn't really, but but I won't do it again. I won't be accountable for someone else's health, that it's dependent upon me, that they gotta generate it on their own. And, you know, I think I don't know if I ever told you, but you know my list of of ultimatums, my list of non-starters, is forty two items long
4: mm-hmm.
3: But I have that much clarity about the life I'm committed to and what I need to fulfill my purpose. that if i'm that if I don't have this in a partner, I really am better off alone. I'm better off, more stable, more happy, more empowered more everything to do what I came to do. If someone is, isn't that, if they aren't that, they're taking away from me. If they are that, I'm better off with them. And, and that goes back to the independence thing, well, which is instinct causes people to give up their independence to attach to someone who isn't giving them what they need. Yeah. So now they're not getting what they need and they've given up the right to go get it. And that's what women's independence is primarily about, that they've, they did that. And they they'll swore they'll never do it again. But they can't imagine that they actually could stand for and learn how to scan for and nurture the qualities that, how, and the behaviors that have them be better off, and that it, it's there and it's not scarce. We just need to learn how to do it, and and once they get that, then oh, giving up your independence, becoming interdependent, right? Ha- letting somebody have input on something you think should be only your decision. To do that, to be with someone who's giving you everything you need and letting you give them everything you need to give them their receptivity to who you are, which is a whole other subject, Mm. then you are better off. And the, I remember leaving with my daughter, once we were playing hooky and going to the movies and I stopped in the driveway to call her dad and say, we were going to be at the movies. Right. And I wouldn't be answering my phone. And she, and she said, don't you hate having to do that? And like having to do what? She said, check in with dad. And I I was like, no, I don't hate it at all. (laughs) He would worry about me if he couldn't reach me. So I'm just taking care of him, taking care of me. And looking at me like, what a weird idea. right? Now, you know, 25 and with a really good man, you know, they're better off together than that. She understands it completely. <laughs> oh, but you take care of each other. Oh, it's novel idea.
0: Well, it's, it's so... And just, just to bring it back to the Queen's Code for a second, before I, before I jump off of that in particular, is, is that's one of the beautiful things about reading that book, is getting to see Claudia and Bert Take care of each other in the ways that you describe as a 60, 70 year old couple. And then getting to watch Karen and Mike go through the process of becoming a couple that gets there, a married couple that gets there to the process of truly caring for each other. Um, and then watching Kimberly and Jack go through the process of discovering how to care for each other and how to allow, them to allow themselves to be cared for. You know, and and that's what that's what makes the book so compelling is that you get to watch it in in real time. It's not Mm. this sort of thing that that there I don't have any models for that in my life. And I don't know too many people who do. I'm very fortunate to have on this journey to have met men and and to have interviewed them and spent time with them and their families who have been able to model that for me a good distance into my life, but certainly prior to this moment in 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 time. You know, my parents didn't model that. No one in my family modeled that. I can't say that any of my relationships as a result, uh, my dating, my romantic relationships really modeled that, although I was trying to move in that direction haltingly and hesitatingly stumbling through the dark. And so it, it certainly isn't really modeled on TV anymore, at least hasn't been in my generation. Maybe maybe there's some examples out there somewhere. So to read to read the book is, you know, maybe this accounts for the feeling of warmth that I get from it is... You know, you described it as as a heaven on earth or or a paradise. I think,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and it's like for a second, yeah, yeah, kind of actually get to step into that a little bit and feel what that might be like. Mm-hmm. You know, as you, and, and I love how you say that. Yeah, the, like the little things in life is where life, everyday situations is where life shows up, and a real um, mm-hmm. a real commitment to. Loving and, and being loved and, and providing and, you know, providership and caring and giving and receiving all, all those things, they're real and they make the kind of relating that I think we all want as men and women possible. And, you know, I, I talk about, mm-hmm. I, I talk about the great reconciliation to people and I tell them it's real, like it's coming, it's coming,
4: mm-hmm.
0: but you articulate you know, just in your own life, and 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 I just thank you for saying that you have those forty-two uh, non-starters because I went through something. <laughs> I went through something similar. Like I think there was a reaction in my mind, like oh, I, I wanted, I wanted to explain. Like for a lot of men, hearing that, they might think that, like oh, that's a that's a, a high maintenance, a high oh. maintenance woman. And you know, the thing was is I went uh, my my buddy Eddie. He did some dating coaching for me. That's how, kind of how we met. And he's like, "Well, you need to come up with a big list of all the of all your." Um, he phrased it as, "I think requirements," and I felt really silly doing that. And I was like, "I suddenly found that I had a, a really long list." And I'm like, "Oh wow, no, I'm really demanding," <laughs> like uh, you know. But sorry, I was just laughing. Oh, okay, sorry. yeah, no, I, I felt like I was really demanding. And I'm like, "Well, no, wait a minute." As you say, if someone doesn't meet those, and I'm going to have to give those up that I'm not getting my needs met. And like you say, I'm sacrificing my ability to get them somewhere else. And I've been in that position before and felt the way that that drags on me and makes me miserable, makes me no good partner. And so how important, as you say, it is to have those that self-understanding. And only in that space of self-understanding can you step into authentic partnership. And so everything that you're saying is landing for me very much as, as things that I've lived <laughs> that, I, that I hope to put into practice more fully someday.
4: Hmm.
3: May, may I tie a couple things together um, with the Queen's Code? Yes, because I mean. I know um, how important that is to you. So we were talking about clarity and consistency and appreciation, and one of the things that happens in the Queen's Code is that if you look at the process that Karen and Kimberly are going through, Claudia keeps giving them assignments to create their own clarity, Mm -hmm. right? Like to look at um, what men have provided for them and done for them, literally, or given them. And what was the difference that that made, right? Which they hadn't done that kind of inventory, that kind of assessment, which meant they couldn't, Really appreciate the men in their life for the true gift of what they've given them, mm-hmm. right It wasn't just the time or the energy of the present, it's the impact that it had right and then the process that you see Kimberly going through as she's embarking on this adventure with Jack of her really thinking about what she needed and And including, and this is so important, what she needs to give. And and that's something that we miss. We, We pay attention to what we need to get. But we don't know how much our fulfillment depends upon that someone receives and appreciates what we need to give. And and it I was I was it was funny when you were talking about high maintenance, right? And your list of requirements and I was thinking about some of mine and and most people wouldn't think an item on a list that says, loves my body and let me love theirs.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, that doesn't sound like high maintenance. That sounds like a cool life.
4: That sounds, right.
3: <laughs> I like the sound of that. <laughs> sounds like what?
0: I like the sound of that.
3: Yeah, and that's really um, the specificity that I encourage people to have, the clarity I encourage you to have when you truly articulate what your non-starters look like, you're describing the life you're committed to. It's really ordinary stuff, right? And, and like um, like the one that you, that you already know about, um, we don't need each other's money, mm-hmm. and and then it goes on to express right. So there's room for gifts and treating and contribution and co-creation and play, right? Because I I'm not I don't try to I don't need Dan's money, so I don't try to boss him around about it. <laughs> I'm not trying to protect it or make sure you know he spends it on this or that because because I need it, right? Hmm. Or vice versa. And so like this whole thing about his birthday and getting to create stuff for him. And I, you know, I get to I get to genuinely treat him, right? And treat him, you know, like the birthday boy. And it's so fun to do that and listen to what he the endeavors in his life that he's interested in, that he's putting money into and be supportive of what his real intent is again cuz I don't need it. And so it's there's a whole life that comes from that simple statement or you know the the non-starter I have of isn't attached to being married or living together full time. Well that can sound harsh. But why? Right? The why of that, the life that people having the alone time they need gives them, the life of um I don't I don't want everything in your life to affect everything in my life because mm. then all your business is my business. <laughs> I don't want to be up in your business like that. Mm. And, and and I don't want you up in mine because you know I I was married for more than a quarter century, right? So everything was subject to a vote, right? And a veto. And so there's just as you look at your as you're at your night starters, your deal breakers, your ultimatums, however you want to say it, it's all the same stuff that you're really saying, I'd rather have this life that I'm standing for um, or the life I can do on my own. I want one or the other, but I don't want some compromise. And, you know, especially in compromise means give up something that's important to you. hmm. People become cranky and resentful from having given up things that are important to them. Let's not give up things that are important to us. Let's give up things that aren't important to us. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of clarity and conversation to get down to that, right? What's the important part? (laughs) If I can give you goat cheese mozzarella, (laughs) goat cheese (laughs) cheddar, goat cheese jack, (laughs) <laughs> I can make my own Mexican blend. <laughs> so you feel like you're at a Mexican restaurant and you're just as happy Or we can find a place like that. So that you're not giving up anything important to you, just it's not important. Um, and it's true in every part of life. You know, movies make it seem like life, lives happen in, you know, getting to Paris or something dramatic. You know, will you marry me moments? No, they happen in laundry. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I was acknowledging Dan today for what a good driver he is and that how much I love being with someone who's a better driver than I am.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's important.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I get the gift of of him being a better driver than I am and, and wanting him to drive because all of the things it provides for me and all the things it provides for him. And life is just that stuff. It, and we don't want to pay attention to it. It's so ordinary, but, but paradise or heaven on earth shows up. And how are we being in that ordinary stuff?
0: Well, if it doesn't show up there, where else is it going to show up, right? Like it's You can't be constantly waiting for the peak experience from the movie you know, for the movie image of love and romance it you're right, it does happen in the laundry or in the, in the kitchen or opening the garage door or, or whatever. Like that's, that's the, that's the meaning of life is in those small mode small moments. I mean, cause life is happening right then and there, not just in the thing that you want to, you know, capture in some, some uh, big dramatic scenes. Like, no, it's happening second by second in front of you. And potentially every encounter like that can have the, potential of transforming a relationship between two people if they really approach it the right
4: way
3: or at least in a wake way.
0: <laughs> a word.
3: If you're awake at
0: Mhm. Well, that actually that leads me to a question because these lists of um of non-starters are all um are well and good for, you know, people like me, single people like you when you were single before you met Dan, but what about Couples that are married and they've been married for, I'm going to, I'm going to paint a a specific scenario and you can use it or discard it um, as whichever is more appropriate for the answer. But, you know, married couples that maybe they're not at odds, but they feel that the satisfaction that they would naturally want from the marriage is somehow eluding them to some degree. So they're not sitting at the, they're not sitting with the divorce lawyer. And they're not just fresh off of their honeymoon necessarily, but they've been together for a while, five or so years, maybe, maybe they have a a kid or two or something like that. And they just, they just feel like we're locked into this thing together, not necessarily in a bad way, or as uh, Jordan Peterson says, they're handcuffed to each other. And they, they have to build the plane while the plane is in midair. They don't have the luxury of saying, okay, I'm going to come up with my list of 42 non-starters and just kind of proceed into the world that way. Um, you know, like I might do, but they're already there, and they've already they're already instantiated, I guess, in this marriage with these with these non starters that perhaps they haven't even surfaced. Like, what would a what would a, a coupled, you know, a, a coupled pair of people do in that scenario to to get to the place that we're describing?
3: Well, the the hard part in that situation is to confront that whatever you want to call them they may not have been the non-starters, but they're the (laughs) non-forevers. They're um, where we put up with things in each other and in ourselves that we're losing respect and admiration and affinity for the other person and sometimes quickly. And when that's happening, um, intimacy and sex go out the window you know, emotional intimacy and physical intimacy um, because admiration is such a source of that. And, and so we have to confront it. What are we doing here that it's just a matter of time that we're going to approach a cliff? I'm going to, you know, when the kids are gone off to college, I won't put up with this anymore. Mm. Right. When when we're at the point of retirement and we're not distracted by our careers, I won't want to be with this person. And to tell the truth about it, to tell the truth about it before you get to the cliff, there's a there's a cliff here. And when when I was first confronting that I could not get over this healthy diet and lifestyle thing and I told Dan about it. And he said, "I don't think I can do that." My reaction was, "Okay, then that means we're short timers now." Mm. And is and I was bawling, right? I was. It's like, what do you mean? Like, I said, it, it means that this exclusive exploration of who we are for each other has a time limit. It's not going to be forever anymore. We, it, I don't see it happening endlessly anymore. And he's like, it, is it, is the stop today? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I said, no, but it's now there. It's now sitting there when I won't be willing or able to do this very longer. And, and that's when we both were really confronting. Oh, wow. This is an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is. And it's been there. And, but it, you know, it looked like it was being met and then it turned. and oh oh
4: Mm.
3: and anywhere that someone is you know doesn't matter that they're married they know I can't this is this is tarnishing this is lessening this is weakening this bond this love this is making for a life that I won't willingly be live for the rest of my life and or it could be, you know, honey, I know you're not happy and you're taking your pound of flesh. Um, and I won't live with that for the rest of my life. You should go be happy instead of punishing me for you're not. Because I cannot give that to you. Like the truth of that. You need that and I can't give it to you. So how can we be gracious and kind and and partners in a different way? That, that Not about the fantasy and the hallucination. It's about reality. How do we get you what you need? What does that mean we need to do? And to be that committed to another person, no, you're becoming less of yourself because you're not getting this. What do we do about it? And, you know, there's so many ways to solve something once you commit to solving it, but we don't commit to solving it until we commit to the it itself, Mm -hmm. right? And so for that that relationship, you know, there, there are needs that aren't being met, and that's one place to look, including the question, what do you need from me that you've given up on getting? That's where people can turn something around dramatically. But even where we started in the beginning, well, people can bring so much love and tenderness and sizzle into their relationships. That, just by changing how they're listening. That's all I have to do is change how they're listening. Instead of, you know, you know, does she support me or not? Right? Well, let's stop. <laughs> how does she support me? Oh my gosh, she supports me this way and this way and this way and this way. I thought I wasn't supported. I'm so supported. Well, she's willing to do all that. Maybe she'd be willing to do this. Have I ever even asked her? No. the answer is usually no we've never asked well if I did ask was I just fishing or did I ask committedly did I actually say how important this was to me how might she react or he react if they knew how important it was you know Dan's treating it very differently because I followed up on something that I would said was important but then was inconsistent about no this really is important This It's this important. It's critical. Oh. And then we got to be in partnership about it, which you wouldn't think an ultimatum would create partnership. But they actually can once we're clear about them and we're not crummy about, you know, you're misbehaving by not already giving this to me. And and one of the things that messes people up, Will, is do I deserve this? Do I deserve for him to change the way he lives his life? I actually am not engaged in that conversation. It isn't isn't a matter of whether I'm worthy of it or I deserve it or not. It's what I require. And it'll be a gift he gives to me. And it's one I require. And the gift will be we get to be together. And as you can probably tell, there's nothing bad in it for him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> I'm not asking him like which is an important thing to look for are we asking someone else to stop being who they are are we asking them to cave in what they need to sacrifice themselves no that's an important part of this business Do you know can you without sacrificing who you are because I love who you are more than I'm concerned than that we stay together by you giving up who you are.
0: What's coming up for me right now in response to that is I I want to talk about the the language of heroes because this particular line that we're talking about has a lot to do with the way... Because uh, I wanted to talk originally, as you were talking about this, about the uh, about how women emasculate men, but I think we've moved beyond that, and I think we're to the point since we're talking about partnership. So we're talking about a, a marriage that you know is is struggling to reach the next, or, or striving to reach the next level. Maybe not necessarily struggling, but you know, where is the next level? Let's put it that way. And and I think some of the magic of uh, the Queen's Code is in is in your articulation of the language of heroes about how women can specifically communicate with men. To get their needs met in ways that, and I I know saying all this, that I can't disclose what that is because you have to read the book and you have to go through the whole process. So I don't want to talk specifically about the language of heroes. And I think that's really important that people have a sense of adventure and and commit to what the book asks. Um, But instructing women how to speak to men in a way that brings out the best in men. And that when I read the language of heroes, it was like, yes. Yes, a thousand percent that is exactly how to communicate to me not just for a partner to get what she may want or need or require from me, but also that would also bring out the best in me as a man and enable me to feel that and that's one of the that's one of the powerful aspects of the of the Queen's Code that I hope you can speak to a little bit
3: so the first thing I would do is talk about why you're referring to the process of the book and needing to do that. And that has to do with that. The words are really, really, really important in order to communicate, but the attitude speaks louder. Mm -hmm. So, so like you see in the book, when somebody uses the words, but with an intent to manipulate or intent to wound, the results are worse than if she didn't know the word at all. Yeah. And and that's what took me 15 years to learn what to do so that women wouldn't and men wouldn't be worse off from what I taught them. So so you're right, I'm not going to teach the hero language because we have to transform how we relate to ourselves and men to use it well. But I can give an example of the problem that we're addressing and funny that I should use that word, right? Because problem is a word that women naturally avoid using unless they're going to say, well, you're the problem.
4: <laughs> Ouch.
3: <laughs> which is, Yeah, which is something that men get really upset about and that they're looking for in relationships is when we have a problem. Are we on the same team solving the problem, or do you make me the problem?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And women's perception of men behaving well—the problem is you don't love me enough to do what you ought to do, right? Um, so, so if we are going to use problem, we'll use it in like a a condemning way, and the rest of the time, where we as ideal women, as perfect people. We're not allowed to have problems. Perfect people don't have problems. So what women will do is they'll instead use the word concern or issue. We have an issue in our relationship. Mm. (laughs) and Or I have a challenge, right? And not knowing that the substitute for I have a problem is so much worse. The substitutes are so much worse and actually cause a sense of doom, <laughs> hopelessness. <Yeah. laughs> Why bother? Don't even try, like because issues live forever. Yeah. So, we have an issue. We've had an issue for 30 years in our relationship. <laughs> 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 and <laughs> and Women don't know that when they say we have an issue, which we think is a softer way to, and a more acceptable way to talk about, there's a problem that if we say we have an issue, we think we're making it seem lighter and less significant, but it's it's still important, but it's not terrible. Not like a problem would be. (laughs) And, And we don't know that for most men, Issues by definition last forever. I mean, just look at politics. Have we solved any of these issues mm-hmm. um, ever? Has any administration solved any of the so-called issues? No, they keep keeping issues forever. Where do you stand on that issue? Um, yeah. Well, when in my teens, it was like this, <laughs> now that I'm 80, I think this, because well, the issue is still here. Yeah. And, and men know that, right? And, Whereas a problem, by definition, has a solution. That's what makes it a problem. It has a solution. And women don't know that men are compulsive problem solvers, except for that when you are trying to solve my problem, I didn't ask you to solve because I'm a strong, independent woman, then I'm mad at you. You know That's when I noticed you're a compulsive problem solver because you're not controlling yourself and just listening to me. You're misbehaving again. Why can't you just listen? Why do you always have to solve a problem? (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> <laughs> ow
3: which is, yeah which is you know my solution to that is for a man to say i'm never going to just listen to you i am built to solve problems when you're ready to have it solved bring it to me otherwise call your girlfriend <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a i mean that's that's a, that's a radical right like that's a radical this for a man to, to say something like that but that's the right response <laughs> What? Well,
3: it's a it's an honest response it's a hold your own space response yeah. It it might get a man laid to be that direct with a woman because oh wow you're not going to put up with my manipulative baloney you're hot <laughs> so um so that being strong and clear thing it, it can come back to many benefits in in relationships not just in humanity as a whole um But it's just the thing for women to know about the language of heroes is that every one of them are words we avoid using. Mm -hmm. And every one of them um, evoke a particular response in men. And it's interesting in a couple of ways. One is that I've seen men respond to the language of heroes (laughs) Um, less than two years old.
0: Oh wow! Really? Like little boys?
3: Little boys. Little boys respond before they can even talk, responding to the language of heroes, and in the same way that a grown man responds, mm-hmm. where he he's like, "Oh yeah, let me add it, right? <laughs> I can do that," and and really stoked to have the opportunity. And that's you know part of what you're talking about. It brings out the best in you. It brings out who you are. Yeah, I'm that, right? And um, you see me, even that you say that to me, you see me, you know, you know, I'm not. Yay. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's sunny actually, that something should so communicate and I wish it was universal, but what we've discovered because I've trained people to teach my work from so many places in the world is that the person translating the Queens code into Hebrew is having to find the word that is the equivalent of that in the way that inspires men, because the direct translation <laughs> is hateful to men. keeper. Oh <laughs> yeah, it's terrible for them. So it's been a problem from the very beginning with it's not a translation, it's an interpretation, right? And having to actually look at how men respond to particular words and look for what is the word in a different culture that causes the same response. And that's some tricky business. But um, one of the things I think that's fun about the Queen's Code and Karen and Mike, you know, in an existing relationship that they're committed to, right? And it's not even close to perfect. And there's this thing that keeps happening that keeps causing, you know, a lot of conflict, And to be able to solve it Because of understanding there's a word you can use to ask for something that gives someone the ability to plan to provide it, which is very different than the word you use when you neglected to give them enough time to plan to provide it. And now they have to react in an emergency, which is always a bigger expenditure of energy. And the, the kindness that shows up between Karen and Mike just by her accepting him herself um, what she's not been willing to admit to, you know, in terms of needing him for something that once she accepts it's okay to need that, then it's okay to use the word that asks for it in the kindest, most respectful way instead of ending up where she always ends up because she's trying not to need it and trying not to admit she needs it. And then then he has to do the thing that he so resents, right? How's that for a bunch? And being a vague. But Hmm. these words, in the language of heroes, they have specific meanings, they cause specific effects, and women avoid all of them. That we literally avoid communicating clearly with men because, like, those words are forbidden words. And until we transform our relationship to ourselves into men, where we can embrace those words and that they're beautiful and they communicate so clearly. Until we do that, I've seen women try to use the words, but they're so snarky using them, like Mose is in the book.
0: And that's where the that's where the emasculation point comes in: is give up the right to emasculate men forever and until, uh, as a as a woman. Uh, you know a woman does that. She will never be able to get the best out of men or to get men to want to give the best to her. She will literally you know she will um, um, be on defense with her sword and 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 the way that you articulate it in the book is that you know a, a man will uh, constantly be handing women ammunition because he's not performing up to like we started talking about it, performing up to the standard of the ideal woman. so. This man just being himself will naturally be handing a woman ammunition with which she can use to to, throw rocks at him or throw a spear at him or chop him in half with a sword, (laughs) masculine him essentially. And until she gives up the right to do that, well, first of all, being trapped in that dynamic is terrible for both parties because as you say, it cuts a woman off from her own strength because it's cutting a man off from his, his strength. So that dynamic is, of course, destructive in and of itself. But until she puts down those weapons and commits to doing that, commits to to give up the right to emasculate men forever until she does that, she can never actually even see the best in men. She's almost blind to it in her own life and probably also maybe in the world at large, would you say? Oh,
3: yeah. Um, She lives in a different world than I -hmm. do. You can't see it. You, as long as men are being compared to women, you cannot see the beauty of men. You can't see their strength. You can't see their contribution. You can't see the gifts, the generosity, the honor. You can't see it. As long as it's, all those things only count if they're expressed the way a woman would.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I mean, that's what was so amazing for me in studying men and being willing to wake up and see past my own education and my own reactions, you know, my own upbringing is, is, that, is is how wrong I was about who they are and what I'd been taught were myths and not, not true at all. And, and that's why it takes such courage, right. To, to take on the journey. And it's why I'm just like the, people who read the Queen's Code and the women who take on the Queen's Code are astonishing to me. You know, I, I just am amazed by their their courage and their willingness. But it's, it's also another, something more direct, Will, and that is when we attack a man in one way or another, basically, when we're stealing his thunder, his power, his energy we're diminishing his ability to be everything that he is right and we talked earlier about the hierarchy of instincts and if you you know the way that what i how i say it is procreate then protect them provide so procreate is literally creative energy it's generating it's it's making Right, which is such a beautiful thing that human beings can do, and and men have such a tenacity for it, right? And and creation energy is is vitalizing. It's it's exciting. It's um awakening. It makes us feel alive. And when a man is in his creation energy, it it contributes a lot to women. It's it's stunning. I don't even know if I have words Mm -hmm. for it. It's so potent. And, you know, the emasculation, one of the definitions is to deprive of virility. And virility is creation energy and expressed in sex. And there's a need for sex, but it's so far beyond that. It's what's made from that energy and that need being met. And then and then after that is to what you've created, you want to protect, right? And protect has, protect can have caring in it, but when it's protect, as in the reaction to the perception of a threat, the energy is, has an intensity to it, has a, um, it's so full of fear. And it can, and when men are afraid, one of the ways they react is they seem mean. No, right There's a harshness that shows up and that really scares women and will cause a woman to shut down or attack him, right? And then you end up with this downward spiral and then you know so much of where we want men and women to be with us is in provide mode and to in giving and giving and giving and giving, and mostly we don't recognize how much people are in that mode because they're giving us what we don't want. Mm -hmm. And that's part of human instinct is to default to that. I can't ask or tell. Um, And so I've got to guess, you know, like what dad would want for his birthday. Like just to not ask and to not speak up and so we're given a lot of what we don't want which means it doesn't count as giving at all because we haven't said what matters to us we haven't given someone information to give us what we really want and that's actually one of the ways that we emasculate that we diminish someone's ability to produce results because we don't give them quality information and so we end up dissatisfied with what someone is providing And we often don't even see that they're providing anything because they're not providing what I want, but I didn't tell them. (laughs) Well, a woman would have figured it out. You would have responded to the hints. You would have heard all the clues. You would have read the body language. If you really cared about me, if you really loved me, you'd be watching me more closely. And then you would know. No, (laughs) a man can't watch a woman closely and be successful the way she wants him to be and that's part of what women have had to confront you know as my students do you want him to know exactly what you want and need to borrow money from you to get it or do you want him to not know what you want and have the resources to provide it and be happy to do that Mm. pick one (laughs) No, I want him to focus entirely on me all the time and exactly what I want and hang on my every word and pay me lots of attention and be really ambitious and successful.
0: Yeah, I want both.
3: <laughs> Sorry, not one of the available choices. There's not an all of the above here. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work that way, honey. Uh, but I can do it. <laughs> No, yeah, really. If you look, not so well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, all this hurts my heart because Mm. I I I recognize I recognize and recognize that dynamic that the expectation that you're articulating is that a man be absolutely able to do everything to focus on, as you say, her every word, and to be able to be a great provider in an environment of Men being shamed, being told they're toxic or useless, or we didn't have time to get to it, but, you know, this whole hashtag me too thing in an environment where, where men are disparaged simply for being men, they are simultaneously expected to be superhuman and to to feel that, that expectation and to feel both of those sides of that, you know, with the left-hand shaming in one way, like, oh, you shouldn't, you should know better. And the other hand's shaming the other way saying like, oh, men are shit. It's no wonder. Thank you for saying earlier that, you know, that the, I don't remember the words that you used, but the way that it landed for me was the amount of effort that I've put into, to becoming the man that I am and focused on the mission that I am. That was nine years of daily effort, daily focused, single focused effort that's ongoing to get to this place, and in some senses, it was twenty years to an escalating degree, particularly over the past five, to be able to unwire those two dynamics out of myself—the expectation that I be superhuman and simultaneously that I'm a piece of shit—and to rid myself of those. And and again, your your books really helped me get there because they helped me see myself in 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 ways that oh my gosh, like a woman can actually see me this way and so that's why I, that's why yeah. i recommend them to men so that they can know like for they were triage for me it's like oh wow be mm. <laughs> seen right and mm-hmm. and unfortunately no men that are in that are in good partnerships that wish to be better and i recommend your books all the time to those men like you and your wife got to read these books in fact what i normally tell couples is you know one of you buy the, the keys to the kingdom and the other buy the queen's code and then you each read one of them and then you switch. That's how I, I think, fig- I figure that's a, that's a good way, a good experience for everyone to go through. But to really, for, to help men heal themselves, to help women heal themselves and to help men and women heal their relationships with each other, because what you're describing is very real, including the, the half that women are like, Oh, but I can do it all myself. I can be superhuman and, and do all this while at the same time, I hear you articulating that women have a deep sense of insecurity about themselves as well. And so it hurts my heart to hear all that because it's very very real and it's very very tragic. I'm looking right now at a picture my, my desktop picture is a, sun, a picture of a sunrise that I took in New Zealand. And um
4: mm.
0: I'm really hoping I'm really hoping that that your books in particular can help bring about that sunrise and I
4: really mean that. Mm.
3: Thank you. And, um, yeah, I, tremendous sadness and also, um, tragedy. I mean, it gets, it's even worse because women, women are as sensitive, if not more sensitive as men to adapting and being pleasing and, less than agreeable, something that you wouldn't even say because you pay attention to it so much (laughs) unconsciously, and and that's valuable. Be valued to make a contribution to be an important part of a team or a group. And so women have become what they perceived as valued. Mm. And, And what it requires to do that, and this isn't, to disparage women. This is part of my, you know, thing about a healthy diet and lifestyle is hello, we're stuck in human bodies. If we don't take them into account, <laughs> we don't get to stay in them. <laughs> we we need to stop disregarding the reality of our incarnation, if you will. And one of the ways women disregard it is that we try to produce results at a level that requires way more jet fuel than our bodies produce. And we end up with adrenal burnout. Um, And even worse, I know someone in her early thirties who had a heart attack. Yeah, a heart attack. She's 32 years old and she had a heart attack and she was so proud of her productivity and what she could drive herself to do, completely disregarding a physical, we are limited by these physical things, and and that's what makes me sad, you know. And even things like the connection between prostate cancer and a lack of sex.
4: Mm-hmm. It, like, <laughs> the
3: these organisms are integrated in our urges, our needs, our drives, and our health. They're connected. They're not independent. And so like this thing about, you know, I get oh so sad. Like in our Being Extraordinary as a Man course online, men understanding the validity of their sex drive.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: that and I've had men in tears going, I'm not a horn dog? <laughs> no, honey, you're not. <laughs> you're you're well made. You're a Ferrari. And you need sex. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, and I mean, these like basic needs that our bodies are built to pursue and then we're wrong to pursue them. That that tears me up. Well, that makes me really sad.
0: And, you know, I, I've been rereading the Queen's Code to get ready for this conversation. And I, I mentioned to you today that there's actually quite a bit uh, more discussions of sex in the book than I remember. And what's so funny is that, <laughs> and they're really great discussions as well. It's like, oh, I kind of wish I was in a relationship to try some of these, um, to try some of these <laughs> approaches. Um, but uh, I can. What's really funny, what you say about men and their sex drive is I I had that same perception. I was in I was in a long term relationship essentially, and also today I was talking to a, a longtime friend about this. Where I had essentially shamed myself out of my own sex drive for 10 years, for literally 10 years. Mm. I had cut myself off from that whole part of myself, thinking that it was I don't remember what use words I used, maybe toxic or disgusting, or, you know, it's terrible about being a man, and it's patriarchal and oppressive. And I had shamed that whole side of my life out of myself until I reached a point, and this literally happened until I reached a point where if I continued any longer. In this situation, that it would kill me, that I would die, and, and it became that serious where I recognize I cannot go on like this anymore. I mean, ten years I was, what like in my in my late twenties into my into my late thirties, so like it's pretty prime time, you know what I mean. So um, yeah, and I don't I don't regret it because it was what I needed to do to get through a phase of my life that was ultimately quite important for me being the man that I am today. Nonetheless, it was excruciating to have lived exactly what you describe. To have to have judged myself and my own desires and my own wants as fundamentally bad and to live with that broken relationship with myself and so I'm actually quite proud that I've healed that aspect of my relationship with myself but this these, these things that you're describing are real and, I, and 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 they're painful and I appreciate and, and I'm sure they're more uh, widely shared than might be recognized and I, I appreciate your compassion for them and I think that's one of the things that stands out for me so much about your work and your writing and you've even said it is the love and regard and care and admiration and maybe maybe even this is a fair word i know that it has specific meaning in in, in the queen's code but also i guess awe that you have for men it comes across and it's a it's a feeling it's it's a feeling <laughs> that I've never felt in writing about men before not even from men because men don't you know, mm. express awe about ourselves to ourselves. You know what I mean? It's just not part of our language, so you know, except for in very rare occasions. So that you expressed so movingly is it was very powerful and it, it sticks with me.
3: Mm. Well, you know what a dictionary girl I am, and you know, awe means fear and respect,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and and women's fear of men, you know, is our undoing. Um so the word that I like is wonder.
4: Mm-hmm. I
3: I I have I have I'm in wonder of men. Like and and that has all these elements of admiring men, I- including for something that I can't be. And I and I'm okay that I can't be that and just in wonder of y'all that you are.
0: And And in that, I just I need to highlight, and I would like you to highlight for the men listening, just how accomplished you are. Like these things don't live in contrast. like you know, you've done some remarkable things. and, and so I, I think, so just go ahead and listen. Can, can I ask you to list some of your accomplishments and experiences? Let's
3: see. Well, I mean, I was an activist, right? And I was. Good the chairman of the county task force on homelessness and you know the grand jury the county grand jury investigated homelessness and declared the organization I was head of the most effective organization in addressing homelessness and you know that might seem disconnected but it's what led me to what I do and, um, and then you know just in terms of having an impact from my own personal studies, um, and then my commitment to getting the word out. I've trained over 600 people to teach my work in schools, as therapists, business consultants. Um, it's taught in in so many different languages, <laughs> Latvian of all things. Um, and Japanese, Mandarin, I mean, it could just go on and on and um i didn't i didn't intend to i didn't mean to but um and i didn't even know it till a year ago the queen's code is has been out of print for almost three years you can only get it as an ebook or order it on demand at lulu.com we stopped printing it and and yet it's consistently in the top 100 if not the top 50 in love and relationships and romance and 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 commitment on amazon consistently it is published nine years ago right it's it's in it's usually like in maybe maybe the top 300s or something um of (laughs) printed books right and and i don't even sell it um and like I forget what its ranking is, it's like usually around fourteen, fifteen thousand of all books on Kindle and there there's over a million books there, right? I forget how many millions now, five million books or something. But I, I didn't like try to be a best selling author. I didn't try to, you know, I think we're approaching two million views or something on YouTube or you know, all these places, right? Um, 17 years of being with Dennis Frager on the radio, the only regular guest on the Male or Female Hour, the only female regular guest anywhere in his radio show, which is, you know, syndicated in bazillion places. And I don't know. It's just, I don't, uh, I, I don't, what's the word? As you know, I don't consider myself successful in the in the way that most people do, because you know I'm trying to sort out men and women so that we can end the hunger on the planet, and it's still here. <laughs> so I have not succeeded yet, because men and women are still too busy taking each other apart to solve the big problems. And or you know, as you've heard me say, you know, we're having here is just the piano, and how about we stop emasculating the compulsive problem solvers and and give you something worth your life, right? Worth working on, you know, better than how do I get out of this conversation with my testicles? <laughs> <laughs> or or as many men have said, oh, yeah, I hang my balls at the door. <laughs> Why well, don't when I want to go home? Well, it starts with I have to hang my balls at the door. Oh, Go home, get nurtured, have sex, be refilled, and go out and save the world again. I like that cycle better I
4: do too I have so much more that
0: I want to I, and I can see why you've been a guest with Dennis Prager for seventeen years because I can imagine there's seventeen years of of content for us to talk about. Um, but i I want to be sensitive to your time, and I think this is probably a good place to leave it um so where can uh men go to find out more about you and and what you do and and maybe find the queen's code
4: hmm.
3: well if if you go to alisonarmstrong.com and and for people who don't want to read will um the understanding men online course and understanding women online course One's 15 hours of video and the other's 11 hours of video. And, and understanding women is hysterical. I mean, it's
4: so
5: fun and so fun to watch.
3: Um,
0: <laughs> is it like a riddle? Puzzles?
3: Um, well, yeah. Understanding women is a puzzle but, but that's my talent is making sense of all this. Yep. And even how women flip back and forth but I think one of the best parts of understanding women is I think there's at least five sessions that part of it has to do with women's sexuality and women's sexuality is so funny. And, and then, and then when I'm contrasting it with men and imitating men, I mean, I think there are men who peed their pants. It was so funny. Um, you know that that alison is definitely a, a comedian and she is, uses physical humor quite dramatically <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: now i'm curious
3: I mean, oh my gosh you 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 have to see me imitating why i assert that women do not say and then i made him come because we know we don't make you come because we can tell exactly when you have decided you're going, you're going there, but it's a decision you make and you make it happen. And I imitate the change in men's behavior when they have decided to do that. because it's so obvious to women and there I am air humping. In front of about 120 men and women, and you get to watch their reaction to me doing that. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'll am i do anything to get
5: through, you know?
4: <laughs> yes, you
3: will. <laughs> so it, there's a sample of understanding women right on our homepage right on our website and even just that half an hour can completely change how men see women and leave you with with much more effective things to do and ways to respond to what's coming at you that will be so much more powerful just by recognizing what we teach in that first half hour it's it's a free sample just go get it
0: Mm. And are there any, are you active on social media at all? Are there other, are there other places where, uh, where, where is the updated, where is the updated Allison Armstrong stuff coming from?
3: (laughs) That's on our website. That's where our newest stuff is. Um, The old stuff is on Audible, but it, it stops at 2012. So whether it's free stuff or all our library of, audio recordings that i've produced because there's a lot of them um we have an understand dot com facebook page and there's instagram the allison armstrong the instagram um one l again my i guess my parents were budgeting um, <laughs> but, um and youtube i mean people i think it's been like a week on youtube and see me at all these different ages and stages, you know, cause I've been doing it for so long, but I, you know me, I'm mission driven, I'm a messenger, I'll probably talk myself to death <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you know, what I got from the time we spent together, my job is, is to express and record. And I'm so grateful to you for what I get to express because of what you ask and how you listen. I get to do some of my best work with you.
4: Thank you, Alison.
3: Thank you.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I I I feel the same, and um, you know, in that in that in that conversation we had. Um, I remember you said, thank you for reminding me why I do what I do. And I feel, I feel very lucky because you know I got to go from reading Alison Armstrong on a book or two books to sitting in Alison Armstrong's living room and having a conversation with her for two hours. And then to be told by someone I had learned so much from about love and women and myself that I had helped connect you back to what you do was a profound gift that I'll always be grateful Mm. for. So thank you for that. Mm.
3: You're welcome. I've been on fire since we spent all that time together. (laughs) So many people are better off because of whatever you did that day.
4: So, (laughs) the
3: turning point.
4: I'm uh, profoundly grateful to hear that. Um, Mm. and may the work that we do together continue. Mm.
0: You know, I've got a lot of men who um, I'm very fortunate listen to me, and who I was really Excited to introduce to you and to your work. Very excited. And I'm wondering if you have anything that you'd like to say specifically to the men who are listening.
4: Hmm. Thank you. Thank you is what I would say.
3: And thank you for doing the work. Thank you for the desire to be the best man you can be. I, I know in our workshops for women, you know, we always we always had a panel of men in our live workshops, and you can see them in the videos, and um, and they would consistently thank the women for doing the work to understand them. They were just so touched that. Women want to understand them, and just as men and women are interdependent in in their lives, you know what you call the great reconciliation, um, my work is in service to yours, and your work is in service to mine. You and I are interdependent. (laughs) It's not going to go any other way. It, It can't. It just won't work. It won't. There will be the great reconciliation because men and women start owning who we are for ourselves and for each other and for the planet. Or not. It's never, it's not an either or. And that's why I become incensed when I hear things like, well, you know, the world will be a better place when women are in charge. Mm-hmm. Really, let me unpack that for you. <laughs>
5: um,
3: and I have before, you know. Uh, hello, uh, women think that they're feeling, are telling them the truth and they're not constrained by honor, which means doing the right thing no matter how you feel. So we think, do you think men are ruthless? Women are so much more ruthless than men are because we have nothing to constrain us. <laughs> we have no honor to constrain us. But that's always an interesting conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I yeah, no, we need each other. We need each other. We balance each other. We complement each other. And and it goes one way or the other. We either bring out the worst in each other or we bring out the best in each other. There's no middle ground. So so I, I just am grateful. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for all the men who are oh, thank you for doing your part. And <laughs> and I'm working mostly with women doing their part and I get to be with more and more men now who come into our curriculum. And I think you know well that I I interact with the people in our online curriculum for about 10 hours a month. Mm -hmm. And when we were leading live workshops, I never got to do that. Like answer questions, maybe, maybe an hour in an entire weekend, right? And to get to do that so much and keep clarifying and helping people implement and expand and connect the dot, uh, it's, I get to be part of the process of the growth, right? Not just I wrote a book or I recorded some videos and, you know, I'm done. I'm going to the beach. No, I get to be in the process and I get to witness the growth and the courage and the, the risks that people take to speak up for themselves and to and to take a stand, No, this is who I am and I'm not going to sacrifice anymore. And oh my gosh, what a prick i'm sure you feel the same way about the men you get to work with what a privilege to get to work with people who are up to date
4: yes i do Hmm.
0: thank you allison
4: yeah you're welcome thank you